Hey there, Michael Jackson. This is Inyash. <laughs> that was awesome. Hey, Inyash, this is Steven. Steven, why are you Michael Jackson? Because I was listening to Psy, uh, the guy from Gangnam Style, had a new song come out last night called uh-huh. That That, featuring Suga of BTS. Um, okay. So we watched that this morning. Put me in mind of music. All the zombies are dancing in sync. Made me think of, or not all the zombies, all the background dancers are dancing in perfect synchronization. Oh. Made me think of zombies. And I'm like, what is more, what, what fits even more appropriately? Michael Jackson's thriller. That's true. Okay. It's not going to happen just because it's not really in Captain BB's character, but wouldn't it be just something else Dude, if, if, if they, they did a zombie had, dance? Yeah. If they had a Michael Jackson on air, he totally would have done that just to get, you know, the good publicity from it. <laughs> it would have been. I guess it would be less of a thing pre like, you know, pre TV, pre internet memes, and maybe it wouldn't have uh, garnered as much attention as the kind he likes, you know, I think maybe it was more impressive if Michael Jackson did it because he wasn't literally controlling all their minds. They just had to practice. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, well that's, uh, that's a form of mine. Yeah, I suppose it is practice, practice, practice. Well, we yeah. are practicing still smoothing out our intro for our podcast here, Not Everything is a Clue, where you and I sit down every week to talk about Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth the Candle, available on audiobook and ebook, the first 42 chapters, I think? Yes. Yes. And you should buy those from Amazon. Uh, it's linked in our show notes. You can also support Alexander Wales at his Patreon if you like his stuff. You can also support us at our Patreon if you like this podcast. And we kick back 15% to Alexander himself. And uh, yeah, we're going to practice our mind control on all of you to get you to give us more money. Mwahahaha. It would sure be nice if his zombies drew a salary, he could just have them all giving him money, right? Yeah, that would be cool. Uh, let's jump into the unorganized notes. Sure. Okay, uh, the first thing that uh, I wanted to say that we're going to do, we're going to pretend that we haven't read the third chapter while we're discussing the first two chapters, because that's the <laughs> only way to have interesting conversations about the first two chapters, because then you get to the third chapter and the veil is pulled back and you're like, oh... Okay, there was there was really nothing here to discuss after all, but I kind of wanted to have that discussion. So uh, we're just we're just going to pretend that third one didn't happen until we get to it. I'll see if we can even keep the conversation going for the third chapter too. You tell me exactly okay. where the line is, Inyash. We'll find it. All right, sounds good. All right, and this is for the five people maybe who read the notes that I put together every week. There was a critical typo because apparently "fellated" isn't a word that my phone likes, so it changed it to "related," and I didn't notice when I sent it off. Oh. So- it was when he and Amarillos were talking about uh, whipping votes for the soul modification. And he says, we can talk about it later. But if you think that you're going to whip votes and hold a meeting while I've got my pants down, so to speak. And she laughs and it was you know nice and fun. Um, but then I was thinking that would be such a textbook Amarillos move because she's got two clones there, right? So they're filleting him and then she's mm-hmm. off having a meeting, right? Mm-hmm. So that, Very sneaky. That was it. I just had to make sure yeah. that people knew I put that idea out there. Crucial? They no. Probably, but No. They probably could have got it from context. I think I saw your notes and I remembered thinking uh, that's what you meant. But I, I guess it's always best to to let people not misunderstand you. Filated. Yeah. Oh, it is a word. You just need two L's. I knew it. Okay. Yeah, but your phone should have known that you meant the filleted with two L's rather than related with an R. Uh, it like, was moves mountains to try and make it so you're not using any PG-13 or R-rated language. That's true. You meant Stupid duck, right? Puritan. Yeah. Never in my life have I meant duck phone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We did have a comment from the audience, Gad Bibi, again, uh, been featuring heavily in our comments recently, uh, has the theory that everyone on Arab is June, uh, or at least all the companions and impersoned exclusions are June. And there was a little bit of talk on this and someone asked, okay, but like, 
how is Amaryllis June? Amaryllis isn't really June. And Gadby came back with the hot take. Amaryllis is everything June thinks he should be. Utilitarian, efficient, asexual. Which was a, you know, very woe moment for me. And perfectly nice. attractive. And perfectly attractive, right? And a girl. And a girl, yes. But, so yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fun idea. I Something about, maybe it's kind of like the multiverse thing. You know, if they're all fractured versions of himself... Uh, and they're all going to learn their own thing. I guess if they all mind meld at the end, then it kind of works out. Mm-hmm. But it seems like we're getting a lot of growth out of this person. And all Doris is doing is learning that, uh, you know, if you have a dictator that's all powerful, you can actually keep your shit together. You know, it that's a baby step. I wouldn't want that to be like, you know, I mean, granted, she's coming from, I guess, a lower place. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's a fun idea. Since I still really don't know what Arab, you know, we're, I don't know how close we are to the end where maybe there's 15% left, but. I still don't know exactly what Arab is, you know, it's a simulation of some mm-hmm. sort, but it, so that's perfectly plausible. Um, I guess then if he's also Bethel, he forced sex on himself. Oh, we talked about that though. I think that he might've uh, like kind of thought he deserved that because he is hung up on what happened to Maddie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, can't rule it out. No, we cannot. All these parallel lives working at the same time with each other kind of reminds us that chapter 206 is called Parallel Lines. <laughs> That's a, That yeah. was awful. No, actually, that was perfect. Oh, really? Yeah. No, that was great. It felt awful while I was delivering it. They usually do. The best ones okay. do. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that may be a sign that, that <laughs> puns are never good. <laughs> it's just segues. Okay. So, yes. Chapter 206, Parallel Lines, where we start out catching up uh, with with what's been going on in the, around the rest of the world. Uh, apparently, Solace is brooding because Locus is still fucked over on Paran. Uh, Anglican powers are pushing back against God, God Queen Amaryllis taking over everything. And uh, the Tongue are working on maybe getting us some TV going soon. So, interesting things happening in the world while they're taking care of business. Yeah. Um, good, good, good catch up. Um, and this... this episode episode chapter is basically them like having ketchup and discussion and regrouping as they're flying over to uh over to the necrolabum easy again from one emergency to another yeah it's also worth just mentioning briefly that we are recording friday morning at 10 as opposed to our usual 6 p or 6 p.m on tuesday so things are a little less fresh and i'm less uh caffeinated than usual so Uh i'm trying to remember what this lead up even was i just liked it okay so something to do with i forget it i'm gonna just read the quote it made me think of raymer's insistence on having his character constantly wearing full plate unless there's some mechanical penalty for it which had always irked me uh, mm-hmm. which sounds like a very raymer thing to do but he'd said there had been a time when i'd use the term ludo narrative dissonance every time every chance i got and when i googled that um the first thing that came up was an article about bioshock or bioshock 2 oh I forget. yeah and it's basically look the sto- the gameplay needs to fit with the story, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's a really cool idea. So I'd share that. Yeah, uh, was it the gosh? Was it the folding ideas? Uh, not folding ideas. Yeah, folding ideas. Was it the folding ideas video on it? Uh, I didn't actually read that one yet. I got caught up uh, looking at a Last of Us two one because I figured okay. that one would be even more even spicier. So yeah, um, yeah, folding ideas is is a great uh, YouTube ch- channel about narrative stuff and they did an entire episode on ludo narrative dissonance and i think that was the bioshock 2 one but i don't remember maybe it wasn't well color me stoked ludo narrative dissonance you said what was the what channel name folding ideas folding ideas all right that's open for later Two. awesome 
Cool. Yeah. You know, this entire chapter kind of reminded me, there was a book I read once, uh, technically broken up into two books, but the entire last quarter of the book was one long chase scene, just a giant climax where they're chasing this alien across literally multiple worlds. And at one point, uh, they're, the alien runs away on a Zeppelin. And it's the only way to travel on this planet. So they're uh, chasing after it on another Zeppelin. And all they can do is kind of like sit there and watch for 12 hours as the two Zeppelins, you know, are going as fast as they can go, which is not very fast. Yeah. And so they sit down and, you know, talk and have a uh, have a regrouping and resting kind of moment, even though it's in the middle of a climactic chase scene. It was pretty cool. I'm glad it was delivered well. I've, I've found, I mean, because that sounds kind of like almost comical. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just picturing. I, I know Zeppelins have some actual travel speed, but I'm picturing just like two Zambonis because they go really slow. <laughs> yes, and yeah. it's like, well, fuck it, might as well finish, you know, writing this email and you know checking Twitter or something because just got to wait for his battery to die, right? Um, mm-hmm. The uh, every the fight scenes in Worm got longer and longer. It seemed like to where you'd have like just twelve chapters of giant fight scene, and it was hard to like put in relation to where anything was happening. That's what uh, got me to stop reading Worm. Yeah, the fight scenes got to be too ridiculous. Well, and you long. stopped at like the Leviathan fight, and that thing's only like 11 or 12 feet tall, I think. You know, once it gets to be like, I don't know, 50 feet tall and shooting lasers and death aura, then it's like, okay, you know, Bug Girl is going to be standing around, I guess. But, you know, it it wasn't the, the, the exciting scenes weren't really what you came to the story for, I guess. It was a fun idea, but I guess I'm bringing that up because I found those those to be kind of exhausting. And even mm-hmm. like the big climactic fight at the end, which went on forever, was not memorable. Mm. So, yeah, it was uh, everything else, right? I mean, everything else. There were memorable bits. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it was like the good horror. Uh, you know, if he and Alexander, if he and Alexander collaborated to make like what the, I guess, Tooth Fairy or Easter Bunny or something. <laughs> um, yeah, they they could come up with something just the the scariest worst thing ever because Alexander already did a good job doing that with Santa. So. Hmm. I do not want to read a horror of the Tooth Fairy. That would be terrible. I know. It would be really bad, right? <laughs> yeah. Very fucked up incentives, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, uh, let, let's let's switch tones to much happier stuff. Uh, yes. They, yeah, they're talking June and Amaryllis uh, about her various clones, and she says that she keeps getting sex shit all the time from people back on uh, Anglican, and like just right to her face, people that should know better and that would get crushed by her politically but they think it's like haha a joke or something i don't know it's it's really fucked up and it really pissed me off and like that shit that kind of thing happens to women constantly and i know it's like much less of a thing nowadays especially in the west but like the the 10 or 15 percent of assholes in the world really fuck things up for everybody else and like if we could it just somehow if those people could be strangled to the edge of death and unable to regain consciousness so we have to freeze them until we can uh, make them better people in the future the world would just be so much better because it would it would open up everybody just to be more you know trusting more good have better lives but the entire world has to be in this awful defensive crouch because of these motherfuckers that ruin it for everyone and you can never tell who those motherfuckers are i really hate it i mean like i lock my door at night you know uh yeah. Very few people are the kind of people who break into my house to steal stuff or hurt me, but mm-hmm. it's the kind of caution you've got to take against the the small fraction of people. Um, so I, I don't know if these were political rivals that were saying these things to her, if it was just like people, but they they were, you know, like it was muggles running around the town, but they were saying like, oh yeah, but you guys are all off having giant lesbian orgies when you're not here working. 
Um, Dude, it felt like some of them might have even been political allies. I see. Yeah, if it, Just you know, ass pirates. Then yeah, then they're then they're assholes. I mean, they're they're assholes if they're if they're muggles too. But like, yeah. I guess because we don't have any attractive politicians, but um, we do have attra- attractive celebrities, which is kind of what Amaryllis is. And people say that we shit have all the time, attractive right? Politicians? What you talking about, Willis? Yeah, I mean, Sleepy Joe really gets my engine revving. <laughs> I wasn't talking about Sleepy Joe. We've got like six hundred Congress critters. Some of them are attractive, I suppose, but. Uh, not Amarillo's attractive. Uh, oh well, okay, that's fair. Anyway, the, the the funny bit for me was that she said she had clear assigned roles, and she started like to get the level of costume for people, so they would like for her clones, so they would be able to be like, yes, yeah, so this is the one that's on this panel, mm-hmm. this one for this board. And June's mm-hmm. just like sexy costumes, and <laughs> yeah. she, that's where she's like, look, I get you're joking, but people are giving me shit about this, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's. It's a drag. I mean, I'm not defending the behavior. It's it's mean. I'm just saying like it's totally like it's the kind of thing people do here on Earth all the time, too, in a way that I think isn't mean. Like, I guess people don't say to people's faces, but um, I mean, there's a way to do it that isn't mean. But she busts out an example. That's just plain bullshit, disrespecting, you know, denigrating you. Do you remember the guy from like, I don't know what the name of the clan was or whatever. And uh, Black Panther, the ones that wouldn't join at first and then did. Yeah. And their giant leader, Umbaku. Yeah, he was a badass. Yeah. And I remember somebody, I heard the phrase when the movie came out, like, oh, uh, like, I'd sure like him to Umbaku break my back or something. Like, <laughs> it was something along the lines of, you know, some sexual joke, right? Oh, okay, and, okay. They wanted to and, sleep with him. Right. Okay, and okay. It was, it was it was funny, and it wasn't delivered to his face, you know? Yeah. And, and it wasn't, I mean, it was sexualizing, but it wasn't um, gratuitous, you know? So, mm-hmm. I... I think what I'm getting at is like, I, I feel bad because I've been making these jokes for two weeks, right? Since she got this power. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I've got to defend the jokes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. well, and yeah. The, the, yeah. Uh, she tries to defend them in one weird way. She says the papers are worse about it, but that at least I understand because there's a profit motive and I don't understand how there being a profit motive makes it any more legitimate than if there's a boner motive. I, I, it just, it's it doesn't make any sense to me that that legitimizes the joke somehow. Um, well, she doesn't say that makes it better. She at least understands it, right? Hmm. Like making money as a goal Amarillo's can identify with. Being a jerk isn't. I that doesn't that sounds weird too. How can you not identify with being a jerk? She understands people are jerks sometimes, right? She, I think, isn't a jerk without reason, but she would be a jerk for money, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe too. I think there's also the asexual nature of her outlook that she doesn't quite. Uh, um, I don't know. Maybe the jokes aren't aren't quite as uh, like straightforward for her yeah. or something. Yeah. Because um, yeah. to her, you know, I, I, I'm really like just digging. I remind everybody it's, I mean, 10 in the morning, I should be fully awake, but I've been on vacation. This is my last day of my vacation. So uh, Woo-hoo, congrats I, and thank I, you for spending your last day here doing this. Oh, hell yeah. I So I guess what I'm saying is I, you know, I don't, I, I'm digging myself into a hole here, but you know, maybe it's the fact that like a lesbian orgy isn't the least bit attractive to any part of Amaryllis, even in imagination. Right. Right. Or even any kind of orgy. It's just not her thing. So that's like someone saying like, oh, I bet you're off like just licking elbows and getting people to sneeze in your mouth. Like, and she's like, you guys are gross. Um, now granted sexualizing it doesn't make it better, but it makes it a smidge more relatable because everyone most people can be like, oh, yeah, orgasms are, are tight, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Anyways, well, I got I got all sorts of pissed off by that thing, and then I wrote a little wishful fulfillment fanfic in my head, and then I felt a little bit better. Well, I don't know if you have time to give us the the synopsis, or if you're going to just write this whole thing. So, I I mean, maybe someday I should write it, just you know, for the I I would never will. I won't have the time. I don't think. Well, or maybe someday I will. Who knows? Anyways, just banging yeah, out it was an basically hour. like it, it was. Yeah, it was one of those things where. Um, you know, she's all powerful. She can punish people legislatively. Plus, she has June as her uh, husband and he goes over there and breaks arms and stuff. And people just like have the fear of God put in them and don't do that shit anymore. And I was like, yeah, I feel the Doris French approach. Yes, <laughs> I can dig it. Yeah. All right, buddy. Um, so let's see. Uh, Raven shows up and it's like, hey, can we talk uh, alone? And Amaryllis like, yeah, fine. I got to go talk with uh, I think it was crack or something. So she leaves. And Raven's like, oh, I've got this pretext that I want to talk to you about. And she says that specifically with regards to the dimensional bridge or tunnel that the Doris has pointed out, which, as you said, is the second time that it's been suggested. If it goes somewhere, then it's almost certainly not a place that's widely widely known. And the best guess is that it leads to Earth. We Mm -hmm. wouldn't count on it, but that's where we'd place money, right? If Uther's stuck on that bridge for whatever reason, however it might have happened, then I'm worried that if we get him unstuck, he'll still want to go to Earth. Mm. And so, A, it's vindicating when the oldest and perhaps wisest member of the party shares our conjectures. Um, but it the reason I brought that out was uh, I think there's one other plausible place that it goes is like the DM's architect workshop, um, you know, that June visited when he was high on soul magic. Yeah. Um, Maybe that's like where you go to assume the control seat for DMing. But it also kind of makes you wonder what we or he, being Arthur, could expect if he arrived on Earth via this tunnel. Does he just fall out somewhere in random place on Earth as a 40-something-year-old man with no powers? Uh, does he Maybe. show up as the powerful semi-god that he is? There's no way he could show up as powerful semi-god, in my opinion. If you're showing up on Earth, you have to play by Earth rules, and that means no semi-godness. But he came to Earth via an unusual route. You know, maybe it's like, all right, let's let's fuck with the Matrix. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fucking with the Matrix too much. The Matrix is there for a reason, and, and you can't have glitches in the Matrix. Or if you do, you iron them out as quickly as possible. Like, if, if Uther... Arthur does want to go back to Earth. I assume he realizes he'd be giving up all his powers and either is okay with that or maybe even actively wants it, you know? Yeah, I think in, in after some decades, it might get annoying being able to do all this stuff and just want to go back to be like, I want to just watch TV and, and mm-hmm. hang out with people. But then he's going to be some, you know, middle-aged guy with that's, you know, doesn't know anybody, right? Um, yeah. Because he, he can't jump back into his old body like June might be able to, right? Right. Uh, so I don't know. Hoping things work out for him, but I'm assuming we'll find out. So I have a question. Yeah. If if he were to, well, if we were to go back to Earth, let's say after doing this, we would be of the um, we would know that this Earth was like a simulation of 2022 or whatever. It's not. It's not the first pass run in base physical reality that we assume we got yanked out of. Would we accept that? as earth because like on Arab, all the people there i feel like are real people and they're sure they're running on a simulation but whatever they they all are fully conscious and sentient and all that if i were to go back to earth i would always have the feeling that these are like copies being run for me and i don't know why i i couldn't quite get in my head that these people are just as real and sentient as everyone on Arab was it would feel it would feel weird since like i know that this has been spun up specifically to place me back on Earth. It's weird because the people on Arab feel real, even though we know that this place was made by slash for June. Yeah. And 
you know, if these people are real, then the people on earth must be, you would think, I think the, mm-hmm. because I feel, I share your, like that intuitive feeling. And I think maybe it's uh, because we've spent our, our life up to this point on earth, believing this is base reality. And then if we left yeah. and came back and it's like, okay, I, this is, this is basically as real as it, I've always believed it was, but a little less. Mm-hmm. And now it feels like I'm, this is something's diminished. I think I know what you mean. Um, I would almost feel like my loved ones are being, I don't know, disrespected by having a copy made of them just for me, you know? I mean, there weren't, co- these are the people on Arab aren't copies of the people on earth. Well, I guess some of his no, friends no, are right. No, no, but I mean, yeah, mm. if he spun up a, a new earth and I'd know that these people died however many centuries ago, or, you know, were, were saved and are completely different people now from what they were centuries ago. And it, it, would, it would feel, I would hope at least that the, the matrix simulator got, permission from everybody on earth first before they made a simulation of them for <laughs> for my earth you know run he got questionable consent from june to throw him through the hell ringer i don't know if, if he's gonna bother getting thumbs up from seven billion people yeah but who knows well yeah. i guess we'll see when we get there if this is even what happens i i have no idea how the story is gonna end you know i, I don't think it's gonna wake what note was he passing in fifth period english um mm-hmm. i don't think it's gonna end with him back in fifth period english uh, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I mean, cause if he's, if he's going to just take over the DM seat, that sounds like a full-time job, mm-hmm. you know, sure. He could delegate, but then I don't know. Maybe Amarillo's would like to be God instead. Frankly, why couldn't he just give it to her? Yeah. Like Especially it seems cause she's got 29 others of her. Well, that too, but she wouldn't even need those cause she could make a million cause she's God now. Right. I feel like once you're God, it should be easy enough to make someone else God. I guess he could make more of himself as well. Yeah, but he's got I, I don't think that he would. I don't think he likes the idea of running the whole, you know, all the responsibility and stuff, right? No, it doesn't sound like it. And not not to sound like a, a an apologist or whatever, but uh, some amount of suffering or struggle, I think, makes life or can can add some flavor to life, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if uh, if June can appreciate that there's a sweet spot there or try to find it. He might just be like, no, either no suffering, like, cause it's the worst. Um, or just, I, I don't know. I think Amarillo's would be better at like, well, actually, no, I ran a million studies in the last uh, nanosecond. Cause that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And it looks like precisely this much effort per goal unit is what right. humans thrive on. So that's what we're going to set up. Like she, she's already half robot. I think she would be great at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, no permanent crippling, but aside from that, you can suffer setbacks and such. Yeah. And, you know, it should be hard to learn to play guitar, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You shouldn't just be able to, like, press a button and, you know, know Kung Fu. Yeah. All right. So, the, so all that right, was all so pretext. She she came in with is. this awesome hot goss for, like, actually, that's just my fake reason for coming in. Yeah, because we, we are, in fact, ta- talking about pressing a button to change things to make it easier. Uh, Amaryllis wanted to press a soul magic button to make herself like sex. And Raven said no, and I had the immediate angry reaction of "fuck this bitch" in all caps. Yeah. So, and you you thought that was not a correct reaction? I mean, it was a predictable reaction. It just seems yeah. disproportionate. Like Raven has seen shit go so far sideways that it almost toppled the world. Right? Yeah. Uh, she she was there through the Second Empire when this was just like the way people ran stuff, and she's like, this almost ended life on air. And it just seems like one little tweak seems to reliably snowball into more and more tweaks. Uh, so I think I think that's her her concern. She's like, you know, I, I've seen I've seen this before, and it goes badly. Uh, so to maybe it feels she's very much like kind of a- got like a deontological rule against like, okay, yeah, we're not. I just I don't endorse this anymore because I've never seen it go well. 
you know, she can have that rule like for herself or even try to convince other people. But like having a complete veto over somebody else's decisions like that sucks. Maybe like if the the majority of the Council of Arches was against it, I could see. But like just one person being like, no, you can't do that. Like, fuck you. My damn body. I wouldn't be good with it, even if it was uh, a majority uh, anyway, because still my damn body. But at least that would be less infuriating than a single veto. We've observed a bit of this with June. The soul manipulation stuff really squigged him out when he first became aware of it. Mm -hmm. And it's not quite his first go-to solution for every problem he has, Mm -hmm. but it's pretty high on his search order of like, how do I solve this problem? Yeah. And so like this just seems to be the, the slippery slope of, man, this works so well, I can use it to fix everything. So you say it's like, well, it's my personal private thing. I'm going to just do it just for me. But it seems like it's hard to keep it personal and private. Like once once you do it, the seductive power of it kind of becomes uh, prescient, if, if you know what I mean. I think there's a big difference between making changes to yourself after having, you know, full informed consent and all that and hacking into other people's bodies to make them do what you want them to do. Oh, there's... Which is- yeah. what his solution to many problems is which is very different yeah i mean it, it's a it's a giant difference don't get me wrong i just think that like once i don't know i think I, and i'm not this isn't necessarily my position i just think this might be kind of where she's coming from she's just like look soul magic leads to more soul magic and mm. you know it it never goes well i think that's where she's coming from i was gonna ask if you'd read the giver which wasn't that good of a book but i remember i had to read it in school i don't think so what is it um it's a post scarcity i guess society you know, it's actually kind of maybe apropos now more than it was 20 years ago when I read it. But because um, like everyone's equal, there's no everyone sees in black and white because they've been genetically modified. Um, mm-hmm. But there's some magic or something. They've got one guy who remembers how Earth used to be where like there used to be starving people and he can see colors and whatever. And so when he gets old, it's time to like pass this, these memories on through magic touch to a successor. Um, mm-hmm. But why keep this guy around so they can ask somebody about ancient wisdom of like you know hey we want to try this out and it's like well because the holocaust is too scary for you guys to remember i remember it and i can i can advise against it raven's kind of that person you know like i know that there's you know some chicanery with her being an l and uh some pushback from you about young adults being fully sapient uh adult adults but Mm -hmm. there is some wisdom that comes with being 10 times older than everybody else yeah and so uh or wait 100 times older um so like the i i think she may be a little bit too conservative in some things like this one maybe in four thousand years you'd feel different <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair but i'm just throwing still, that out there yeah i have well yeah yeah I, I have some out of order stuff here but i'm not sure if wh- how you want to take this yeah, um, go for it just pick them and go all right so my my main thing i'm gonna, I'm gonna play raven's advocate here even though I'm not, I, you know, I, let me, I'm not even sure whose camp I'm in. So I'm, I'm in a good place to kind of play both sides. Um, so the one, one major concern I have is that I, I remain unconvinced that it's possible to slide around your value for one specific thing. Like, I know that's what the numbers say, but that's just the interface. Like, I don't know if I believe it. You know, if, if Amaryllis wanted to turn off her hurt feelings for solace, not thinking of her as a, mo- as her mom, I think that would impact the way that she felt about motherhood in general, children in general, parental love in general, etc. Like it's possible. I, I don't know if it's possible just to turn down one thing. And the example I gave is that I don't think I can make chips ahoy the thing I value least in the cosmos without it impacting my value of Oreos. 
Right. Well, okay. So I, I agree with you. That's entirely possible. But I also think that should be something that someone is allowed to experiment with. Like this seems very much the same kind of argument as to, you know, people should never be allowed to go on hormones or whatever. And (laughs) I think that, yeah, that's, that's a dangerous thing and you might regret it, but like, whatever, it's your own body and you should be allowed to experiment however you want with it. Man, I feel like I was better at playing Raven a few days ago and I put my notes together because there, there's no wind in my sails for a comeback to that. Like, you know, this is Amaryllis. If she wants to get off, if she wants to go fuck a horse, who's Raven to say no, you know? <laughs> well, Like, they, like they if, she wa- be... if she wants to use that magical amulet to turn into an animal so she can have sex with other animals, it's like, great. It's your, it's your Friday night. Do whatever you want. Like, I mean, there, there this is almost be... like a prudish stance of, of Raven to take, right? I mean, I think the the counter that I have seen most recently is that uh, no man is an island, basically, sort of thing. That, uh, sure, you can do whatever you want, but your actions impact others as well. You are not free of all obligations and responsibilities to the rest of the world. And um, pretending like you are can hurt other people that, you know, either rely on you or that have invested in you and uh, don't, you know, th- this full maximum libertarianism uh among body and self choices is both false because that's not how the world works and potentially harmful because whenever you have a map that doesn't match the territory you can fuck things up on accident well put let's pretend that's what i said Uh, (laughs) okay i I was i was gesturing that direction earlier when i'd said that it's not your personal private decision because it does impact society at large because you know i i guess you know she's not wanting to do anything outside the realm of normal human ability I was going to say, because like, you know, you taking hormones to to transition also impacts the people around you on Earth, right? But there are already people, you know, like you're you're not doing anything unusual um, from what we already encounter in real life. And so, but then again, neither is Amaryllis. Like people are horny all the time. Yeah. So, but yeah, I I know what you you, mean. The thing is, is like, it can have unforeseen impacts. Yes. And you're familiar with the ship of Theseus thing, right? Totally. Well, the, the... The thing is, like, as you get older, you realize this is just a metaphor for being human, uh, that we we change slowly over time. And, like, you look back on yourself from 20 years ago, and you're like, huh, that's a different person. And honestly, I'm not sure I would get along with that person. He was kind of a jerk sometimes. Um, but I don't uh, even share any atoms with that person, probably. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Um, but I, I just meant, like, in terms of personality and such. And, you know, over a long, slow time scale, it doesn't feel like you're a different person, even though I still, like, honestly consider far enough past selves of me to be, like, just different people that are dead now that were killed slowly. But I realize most people don't think that way. But uh, this sort of, like, soul magic would allow you to do the ship of Theseus thing, where instead of slowly replacing one plank at a time over 20 years, you just throw out one ship and come in with a new ship. And then people will be like, hey, wait a minute, that's a different ship. You just swapped them out on me. And uh, it feels different than if you're slowly changing one plank over time or, you know, one aspect of your opinions or personality over time based on things that happen to you rather than just a giant overhaul all at once. And so I can see how it would be, even though the end result is the same, how the process feels very different. Like you got body snatched instead of you evolved and grew as a person. I think you make... A good point. And we'll circle back to that towards the end of this, I think, um, yeah. which is great, actually, because, you know, your your vehement um, responses to this, like, would suggest to somebody who doesn't know you that you're being, you know, emotional and unreasonable, and yet you've steel to the hell out of your opposition. So, 
uh, I guess hats off. You get a, a rationalist cookie. Um, <laughs> I love cookies. Because you're nailing it. I, I mean, you're you're not – I think you're giving the best possible version of, of the opposing view and like the – the the broader nature of everything so no i'm 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 digging it i am happy that i have not modified away my love of cookies because otherwise <laughs> i wouldn't be doing this uh one of the things that emeralds brings up of, oh not emeralds sorry raven brings up with uh the way soul magic was used during the second empire uh this was really cool because i think i've read a short story that had characters like this in it uh she says two soul mages together are especially dangerous because they can keep pulling themselves deeper and deeper spiraling until they become monsters at best focused only on themselves and I, I i mean i think this is probably kind of fucked up of me but i find that really romantic and I kind of adore stories about obsessives like that. Like, can you imagine two people that just kind of started out in love, but keep modifying themselves so much so that they're basically just a binary single person almost who is there to reinforce and love the other half of them constantly. And, ah, oh, it's it's beautiful and fucked up. And, and, and I kind of, you know, I don't think I want that relationship, <laughs> but also kind of I want to try out being in that relationship. And then I know I would never come back. I'm glad that you said it's also fucked up. I uh it's not my cup of tea um it feels like the wireheading version of romance it it does that's a good way to put it man you're sharper than i am this morning um no like for me i i enjoy that my partner and i have a variety of interests that don't necessarily overlap all the time and because it means that i get to enjoy things that she enjoys and vice versa you know what she said so like this morning uh i mentioned that uh one of the guys from bts put out a new video with uh sai um mm-hmm. i'm not a a huge Korean pop guy. However, I did love Gangnam Style um, when that came out. It still got 4.4 billion views on YouTube. So I'm not the only Damn. one. Um, yeah. But the, uh, you know, so I, I'm expanding my horizons on on music and, and aspects like that. Um, you know, she said to me last week, though, that's like, oh, I married the right woman. Hmm. She saw the trailer for the new Thor movie, which I haven't seen. No spoilers. She said, I want to go see this in theaters. So Aww. I know she's excited. Yeah. It's also because Taika Waititi knows what he's doing. So. That's true, yeah. But I, I'm sure the trailer looks great. I'm stoked. I think it comes out. I know it's this summer. Um, and Doctor Strange comes out next weekend. Oh shit! That means I got to go see everything, everywhere, all at once in the next few days. Everything, everywhere, what? Uh, I, it's I believe that's the name. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, it's I just it's another Studio A24 project. So you know, going to be kind of trippy and fun. And I hear just a fantastic um movie uh multiverse movie and that the less you know about it the better like i know almost nothing about it aside from the fact that it has michelle Yu. i'm not sure exactly how to pronounce her last name and that it's a multiverse thing and uh and that it's supposedly really good so uh i'm I'm going in blind cool i i haven't even heard of this movie um there's another movie that came out recently that got a good pitch meeting called moonfall that apparently was did terribly um Uh So I guess I'm just up on what's in the theaters. Uh, but yeah, let's check this out. That sounds like fun. I thought you were going to say you have to go see all the other Marvel stuff really quick. So um, Oh, no, no, no. That's that's a literal name of the movie. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I'll, I'll just check it out. I'll put that on my short list. Uh, the, I want to indulge myself in Marvel stuff, but I can't. So let's push through. All right. Uh, all right. June frowns at Raven says, is this your true objection? At which point we must drink. Because that's a rationalist thing. Uh, and the name of the post that I'm going to link in our show notes is, is that your true rejection? Which is basically exactly what he's saying, just with one word changed. Was that sipping uh, noise audible or, and, was, or yes. disgusting? I didn't think it was disgusting at all. Okay. I think you got a weird thing with the, the mouth noises. I do. Like every, I, I have whatever. Someone gave it a word. Um, 
I hate mouth noises. It's like the opposite Misphonia? of something like that. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, the, I also dropped my phone earlier cause it was vibrating and then I dropped it on the table when you were talking. So everyone heard that too. Um, anyway, yes, we drank. This is, is this your true objection? What I love about it is that like he mentioned, she says, Uther said that all the time. And he's like, yep, that's classic Arthur. Uh, mm-hmm. And acknowledge that it could kind of be annoying when what's great is Arthur. Arthur is a smarter version of me in high school. Mm-hmm. Like he, uh, he's, he's excitable. Um, he, he loves debate, but the thing is he's, he's smarter and uh, faster and better educated than I was. And so, you know, he, he could whip out these um, it, intuition pumps, challenges, whatever you want to call them without even really believing any of it. Right. Yeah. Like he's like, I don't, I don't even have a position, but here convince me that, you know, uh, what captain blue in the bottle is doing is wrong. Go ahead. Try like, that's just, I, I, I feel like, uh, he's, um, I, I, I still like Arthur a lot. Yeah. Arthur's and he's just the fact that he is willing to entertain arguments that he disagrees with, but would still like to hear what your argument is for it. I think is really important and really cool. And you know, the being smart part really helps too. Yeah. I can see how it'd be a bit obnoxious if he doesn't actually have a belief and he's just there to fight, but that's part of the fun, right? That's how we refine our beliefs. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I didn't believe at first, but I thought about it and then I was like, oh yeah, okay, I guess you got a good point. Yeah. Half the time I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to take, we did an episode probably last year or the year before on Bayesian conspiracy about uh, the do it initiatives. And one of them was have strong beliefs mm-hmm. or voice them. I can't remember what it was, but it's like, no, just, just be like, pick a, like pick a stance and, and stick to it really like really loudly until you change your mind. And then that's great and do that too. But um, so like, I, I don't have a lot of hard and fast opinions on things. And so uh, real, if, if the opportunity arises, I love just being able to like, no, this, all right, I'm going to pick this hill. All right, let's fight. Let's fight here. So mm-hmm. even if I don't disagree with you, it, yeah. it adds some flavor. Uh, Raven does say that. Yeah, that's annoying that uh, when he says, is that your true objection as if you aren't arguing in good faith? And I think that that is like a legit um, complaint that it's really frustrating in part because like sometimes people have multiple reasons, overlapping reasons for thinking something and just knocking out one of them doesn't override all the rest of them. So if someone argues something and knocks one point down, you can still believe something. And then they're like, oh, but so that wasn't your true objection. And it's like, oh, that was that was one of my objections, you know, Um it is nice to find a single crux that really matters uh, and everything rests on, but that's not always possible. But I think this is very much a a post of the times. Well, I mean, it's still relevant today, but like in the times, it was 2007, maybe 2008, and the atheism wars were going, and like people would endlessly derail and bring up all these objections, most of which they didn't care about and wouldn't really alter their opinions, even if they were fully refuted. And I think part of the fact that that is far less common nowadays is due to Eliezer uh, bringing bringing into the public consciousness this idea of, is that your true objection? And having people actually focus on the things that they actually care about. So, you know, we live in a better future now because we had to go through that in the past. Yeah. And, you know, you make a good point. You know, if someone, um, I'm trying to think of a good salient recent example, but my brain is still foggy. Uh whatever they've, they've got a, a beef with a current political thing or whatever. Um, let's say uh, like pr- police brutality or something. Mm. And they bring up a salient case and like you, you bring up some, some evidence of like actually, you know, actually lots of exculpatory factors here about the particular case. Well, like that person who still has the beef with police brutality, like they still have it, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, so, so this 
particular incident, whatever, you know, you may have knocked that down, but like they still have a, a legitimate and valid complaint, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the point is like, yeah, you, you can knock over something, but like he said, people have multiple overlapping reasons. And if, and if you knock out the rest, you know, like this is part of the fun of the new atheism wars. Like, you know, you point out um, that Christianity came and agree on like the most important thing in Christianity, the resurrection of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're like, yeah, I don't care. You know, like it still means a lot to me. I, you know, I feel Jesus in my heart. It's important to my community in my life. Like, so for us, that's like a knockdown thing, right? Because um, mm-hmm. we're not in their camp. But for them, they're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Forget it. Like, I don't care about Easter then. I, I guess... They can say, look, okay, great. You've, you've successfully convinced me that there's no logical reason to believe this, but I don't care. Right. Oh yes, um, Yeah. But that's, that's very specific to the new atheism stuff. I guess I'm just thinking like having someone grab a specific thing. All right. If it's two rationalists wanting to find the truth, that can be super valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking to somebody who has a strong feeling on something and, you know, strong conviction and good reasons, and you grab a one and you rip it to pieces and you're like, now don't you feel wrong? Um, I, I can see that might have been kind of what Arthur was like. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, he was a kid in high school. Like Checkmate, atheist. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, so, oh, yeah, they're still talking sex stuff. Yeah. Speaking of checkmate atheists, Raven asks, is sex always meaningful to you? And June says yes. And she says, was it with Maddie? And he's stunned into silence, and she says, checkmate, June. (laughs) (laughs) And I think she's kind of being a bitch here, because, like, the fact that it was the one time he had sex without it being meaningful to him has kind of made it the most meaningful sex act he ever had in his life, aside from (laughs) the time he was raped. Oh, no. Um, So, I like it. The... uh um you're like well look because it wasn't meaningful this is so people misuse the expression the exception that proves the rule all the time mm-hmm. um and this is the wrong use of that but you can just say no that's the exception that proves the rule raven um yeah the, the the real version of it as far as i understand it is like if you see a sign that says no parking here on wednesdays it that is the exception that proves the rule and that you know that you can park there every other day except one right okay um maybe i'm being too narrow with it but i feel like I every time yeah. yeah, every time someone says that on TV or a movie, they're saying it like you give them an, ex- an exception to what they're making as a general case. And like, ah, well, that's the exception that proves the rule. And it's like, no, that's just actually an exception to your general case. Yeah, it doesn't prove anything. It proves right. that your case yeah. is too general. <laughs> that's a damn good point. And I'm going to remember that. Uh, so, so June says, yeah, he tried meaningless sex with Maddie and it sucked. And so he doesn't want to have meaningless sex anymore. Um, and like, I get that he's scared, oh, not scared, scarred by that trauma and it sucks, but I think it sucks that he's calling sex with Amy meaningless. Like just because she isn't enjoying it in a sexually charged way, she doesn't get any sexual gratification out of it. Doesn't mean it's meaningless. You know, like I do things with my partners that I find boring because they like them and that's plenty meaningful, I think. And they do the same for me. And you even just went to go see like a a boy band that you were like, not super thrilled about but it was okay enough because it was a thing that you wanted to do for your partner right totally yeah i wouldn't i would never have gone to see them by myself i i feel like the mob will get me i wouldn't say boy band actually <laughs> pop band is close enough but boy band i, I called them that this morning because there's too many of them seven so i feel like five <laughs> I think is they probably fit, the sweet they spot fit the, they fit the classic definition of a boy band they do um but yeah no i mean that's and that's the thing you know you you sit and enjoy things with people and that that's why i like not becoming a a soul clone of your partner because if if i enjoyed it the same that she does i wouldn't get my version of enjoyment out of it which is partly just uh 
contagious joy from what she's experiencing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's that's a, a fun kind of joy as well. It is. You know, like the thing where you've, where you've, you know, you show somebody your favorite movie and you're mm-hmm. half watching the movie and half watching them watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's just a great, a great feeling. Yeah. Um, so June does the... Oh yeah, oh, go ahead. this is just June still feeling bad about the the Maddie stuff, and I liked Raven uh, her reply here that you pulled out. Yeah, she says at some point you have to say that tomorrow is a new day. Feel bad about it because it was bad, but then move on and stop letting it define you. And I think it sounds like June is finally doing that and coming to grips with his past and owning it instead of wallowing in it. And you know that's that's good. This is that's is what Arab's all about, right? Therapy for June. Yeah, no, I like that one a lot. That's going to go on the saved quotes list, actually. Um, yeah. I feel like that's super valuable and applicable in lots of scenarios. Yeah. Um, but then she says, like, would you be in favor of letting Amaryllis change herself for you, making it sound like Amaryllis would be committing suicide or something? Because, I, I don't know, she, she has to be dumb about this one point. <laughs> I mean, in, in some way, she is. Uh, in some small way. Like, um, the the version, depending on, like, so, yes, this is one actually not that small of a change but it is one change right um, she's suiciding one plank of the ship right um but i guess like you know where do you draw the line do you let just someone do it all the way like you know yes it's their body their choice but i wouldn't give someone a thumbs up to become a soul clone of me like i'm like yeah it's your you you can do what you want i can't actually stop you but you're not getting my uh my thumbs up on this um well i wouldn't want them to become a soul clone of me just because then i would have two of me around and i'm not sure I'm okay with that. I you would want immediately that to be my decision, the other person. Else. Yeah, yeah, right. But, but then maybe once they became a soul clone of me, they would be like, "Oh yeah, no, I don't like having two of me around. I'm switching back." <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, uh, I, I, I see. I don't think it's that it's that she's being a drama queen about that question. I think that, um, you know, it in a way you always change yourself for the people you're close with. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's valuable. I think that there's just something about like, uh, all right, so June suggests like well what if what if i just uh uh exercise the part of me out that likes sex um you know is is that better worse or the same as amaryllis amaryllis's proposal Mm -hmm. i personally uh, think it's about the same yeah i wouldn't want to get rid of my sex drive because it brings me a lot of you know joy and happiness and fun but um and also a strong desire to do things in the world if i didn't have a sex drive i don't know what i would do probably just sit around and play video games all the time but uh i think that um that it, it it doesn't necessarily have to be that way i used to not have a sex drive when i was very young and i still did things so i think it could be just fine yeah i mean yeah i think uh i must not have grabbed the quote but um he talks about how he's like i can i could picture that and I, I I imagine myself missing that part of it because it's actually important to me. But by definition, I won't miss it once it's gone because I've I've successfully killed it. You know mm-hmm. that does sound closer to suiciding part of yourself. I think you don't want to get rid of too many desires because if you get rid of the desire for sex and you get rid of the desire for fame and then you get rid of the desire to like listen to fun music and then you get rid of the desire to watch cool art, eventually, like what is there left of you, right? Well, so at least you're not suffering you, wanting those things. Yeah, right. You can turn yourself into the Buddha, but at some point, you know, I, I would want to be like, yeah, maybe getting rid of one or two desires is okay. Maybe like add some more desires to help make up for that because having lots of conflicting desires is one of the things that makes being a human a challenge right yeah um I, and that's part of the fun of that's part of the fun of existence you know i i think that if june were to remove part of himself 
Whereas Amaryllis is talking about adding something to herself. I do think that there is a difference there and something it, it's stupid because I don't think this is generalizable, but my, I have this intuition as long as we're kind of just spitballing that mm-hmm. removing something from yourself is more of a, not a bummer, but is, is less good than adding yeah. something to yourself. Now, granted, yeah. if you add in the desire to murder puppies, right? right. <laughs> or if you remove the desire to murder puppies, like, you know, those cases aside, if it's, if it's neutral stuff, like mm-hmm. the desire for sex or, um, whatever, I, a desire I to like somebody. Saying. Actually, that's a good example. Yeah. What if, uh, what if she didn't like June? You know, she had like the, she, she was turning off her romance form for a while. Mm-hmm. What if, what if it was never there, but she was adding it, you know, that, that yeah. sounds like that could be a Raven puts it so well. Cause I've said this and I, I swear I was saying it before she said it, that sometimes the slope is actually slippery. Yes. I've heard <laughs> you say that before. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I, a general rule agree that adding complexity is cooler than taking away complexity. Cause it makes things more interesting. I don't, I don't think I agree with Raven anymore that the slope is actually slippery sometimes. Like I know I've gone back and forth on this a number of times over the past, I don't know, however many years, my entire adulthood, I guess. But I think I'm back in the direction of there's really no such thing as a slippery slope. There's just a battlefield. And uh, if you seed some ground and the battle line moves, then that kind of sucks. It makes it easier to get more of your territory, maybe. Well, on the other hand, maybe you're like retreating to a more defensible hill or something. It just always kind of sucks losing ground and no one wants to do it. And so it feels like a slippery slope. But I'm not sure there's really slippery slopes places because we can drop lines as humans and we often do, right? Yeah, I would say that there's a difference between fighting an uphill battle versus a downhill one. Like Mm -hmm. if the federal government, they took away gay marriage, you know, they added it a few years ago. I feel like taking that away actually would be a nice slip step onto a slippery slope where now it's an uphill battle again, getting equality back for gay people. Well, yeah, it'd be a battle getting that back because now it's gone. Right. But once once it's gone, like taking it away gets things snowballing or could snowball things in such a way where it's like, and we're going to start doing this for uh, whatever trans people, all the bathroom stuff people keep bringing up when trans people come up, whatever. Like, I think that once once they get the ball rolling, say that, you know, you're, you're, you're political enemies or something. Well, if we're talking about marriage law snowballing, then, I mean, maybe this could happen that the once the gay marriage is taken away, then interracial marriage will be taken away. And then marriage between different religions would be taken away. And then eventually the right to divorce would be taken away. Like, <laughs> all that could be a thing that happens. And all those laws were laws in the past. But I don't see how it is necessarily slipping that way. Like maybe the laws are a barometer of where the culture is at, where more people want more restrictions like that. And that sucks. But I don't think one naturally leads to the other. It may just be a a sign of where the prevailing public opinion is at. I think you're right, especially because, you know, from the other side of that argument, they were worried about a slippery slope that as soon as you let a man marry a man, then a man can marry his dog. And it's Mm -hmm. like one of these things is not like the other. But, (laughs) you know, sure. okay, fine. Let's let let's let a man marry his favorite dvd box set you know like whatever it doesn't make to you guys um but yeah so they were also worried about slippery slope all right i will i'll keep my eyes open for a slippery slope and see if i can find one by next week june says about how uh him and amaryllis could average all their values and uh average all their spirits and just make everything in perfect alignment but i think that's just making a clone right and that would be boring am i wrong about that perfectly balanced um the fun thing is he's talking about averaging their values 
So mm-hmm. like Amaryllis hates Oreos. June loves them. So they both feel okay about Oreos when they're, so they're not mm-hmm. so much, I mean, they're making, they're making clones, but they're killing two people to make two boring people. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's not like June gets a copy, gets another June or Amaryllis gets another Amaryllis. No, they no, both no, die yeah. and you get two less interesting people as a result. <laughs> <laughs> it would be lame. Uh, and Raven says that was the end game of the second empire. Induct new people, take on their values as you force your values on them and make it easier to work together since everyone actually valued the same things. And when she said that, I realized, I didn't realize the first time I had read this because I guess I was reading faster, that the second empire was basically the super happies from Three Worlds Collide, which is an excellent, uh, I think it's a novella. It's not quite a novel uh, by Elias Ryudkowski where an alien race has values that would lead us into eternal war against them until one side or the other is completely wiped out. And they're like, you know what, instead of doing that, let's just kind of modify ourselves. So we average our values and we can coexist. And, uh, I won't, I won't give any spoilers, but like, that's kind of interesting that the second empire were the super happies. Yeah. And today Inyash comes out in favor of joining the super happies. Never would have guessed it. Wait, did I? You've been defending all the soul modification this whole time, you know? Well, sh- yes, individual soul <laughs> modification that you consent to, not forcing everybody. Well, you know, once it's done, you'll feel fine about it. So That's exactly what the wireheaders say, and I'm still against it. I know. I'm, I just, uh, it was funnier. Yeah, again, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not at full speed yet. I should have got more energetic this no, morning. I'm, I'm, I'm smiling over here. It was plenty funny. All right. Well, I just need to defend my honor. I like to... Like when when Raven's saying that, she's like edging away from him. Like it's a small room, and she's like kind of like you know backing against the the uh, the far the far end because it's like, dude, you're making all the same noises. You know, I saw this shit go down, and you're talking about it like it's a good thing, mm-hmm. um, and it it so wasn't, man. Grab a history book. <laughs> yeah. And June tries to defend himself by saying that he was planning on being a hypocrite, that he'd just change one thing, and even if it makes logical sense to change other things, he won't change those. And I. I think he's being wrong, <laughs> just, just wrong here. Like you, you don't have to be a hypocrite to want to change some things and not others. And like, he's declaring that changing the sex thing, he's doing that on the principle that it reduces conflict. And therefore everyone should reduce all conflicts by soul alterations. Uh, but you know, I'm a hypocrite, so I'm not going to live by that principle. And I'm like, dude, maybe, maybe that's not really a principle at all. And so you aren't a hypocrite and stop trying to say that that is the principle you're using for this. It, 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 you, you're obviously not. And that doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. It just means that that is not the real reason you're doing this. And that's fine. Like you, you don't have to extrapolate. I want us to not have this conflict over sex to therefore all conflicts everywhere should be eliminated by soul modification. It's silly. And I think that Raven trying to convince him that that is what his little modification leads to is a manipulation tactic and it's bullshit and you can just call out raven on her bullshit manipulation tactic instead of saying like oh well i guess i'm a hypocrite and that's okay yeah he, he bites a bullet that he could easily dodge um i i'm prepared to call raven out another piece of bullshit that i remembered that where she was she she pointed out that like oh yeah well you did soul magic on yourself with uh the bethel thing and with the pain thing and you didn't get our you know you didn't uh, ask the council for a thumbs up before doing that and uh i first of all june was like well i'm not gonna nitpick on the fact that that was spirit magic and i'm like i totally would and second of all fuck you those were super extenuating circumstances yeah like i i do think that those that is a very different thing it's like i did those to cope with an immediate emergency um and they were also less just because of the nature of it they were less severe of modifications than just straight soul magic um Mm -hmm. 
you know, I guess it depends on the kind of spirit magic you're doing. It can be more or less severe, right? But like he didn't change his personality by turning off pain. Yeah. Like, so I, I felt like those were disingenuous examples for her to bring up. Um, that those, the, not only were those example, those, those circumstances genuinely, uh, extenuating, but they also just, they, they don't apply to her, to the case that she's made. I think they do kind of apply. And so like, I was proud of her for bringing up cases where her position is bullshit because, because, uh, these were good reasons to modify the soul and someone who refused to modify their soul because of, uh, because they're like Raven would have been absolutely fucked. I guess that's what June should have said rather than like, you're right. I'm a hypocrite. Right. Yeah. Um, cause it's like, no, I turned like, off pain right, so I could wrong. survive being tortured. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I turned off, I, I, I diminished my trauma of being raped so I could talk about it with you guys, mm-hmm. you know? Um, other than that, like, what else was I going to do? Just go crazy. Um, yeah. you know, it, this is like, you know, um, you know, a good example, maybe you tell me, uh, you know, if somebody, was an alcoholic and you know used it to solve all their problems and you know it, it hurt their life and now they can drink again they have fun but they're like kind of lying in the sand is like all right but i'm not going to drink to cope i'm only going to drink for fun right mm-hmm. um i feel like that's a good rule with drugs in general you, you do them for the fun part not for like the escapism um yeah and yet let's say give give some insane example you know like something that june went through it's like yeah okay something terrible happened i need a drink to calm down then i can talk to you guys about it, mm-hmm. you know I, I feel like that's totally legitimate, even if you have a general rule against doing that. Yeah, I I agree, I guess, basically, is what I'm saying. I, I have a horse in this race, so I don't know. So the thing is, I was an alcoholic for a number of years, and that was, you know, pretty bad for my life. And then I stopped being an alcoholic and just would sometimes drink for fun. And every now and then, I do sometimes slip back into drinking too much in order to cope with stuff, and that's not good. But uh, on the other hand, I think this is preferable to being a no alcohol absolutist at least for me and i don't know i've been managing to ride that line maybe someday i will fuck that up i just i don't want to use me as an example because who knows maybe three four years from now something really terrible is going to happen and i'm going to fuck everything up by drinking too much again and uh then people will be like see told you so and i'll be like yeah i hate being wrong well so, eh. i i didn't I, I think your approach is the more sensible one maybe not everyone can handle it but like mm-hmm. i know somebody else who and what's fun is that, well, not fun maybe, but interesting, is that I think the other person still refers to themselves as an alcoholic having never touched a drop for like 25 years mm-hmm. or 30 years or whatever, right? Um, yeah. And like you were like, I used to have a problem. So I used to be an alcoholic. Now I'm not. Now I drink for fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that actually is, if you can manage it, like the superior way rather than letting like part of your identity be defined by like, I'm going to avoid this forever and keep it a mile away, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think maybe, especially with whatever substance recovery, maybe everyone finds their own best solution. Um, yeah, and different strokes for different folks. You know, if you're unsure, maybe lean in the way of not doing it at all. And then you can, you know, this is me giving very shitty, uninformed advice. But I think if you're <laughs> unsure on how to address your, your stuff, maybe, maybe start with like too little, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, because that, that seems like the safer side to err on. Yes. And okay. has a much easier recovery option than fa- failing the other way. Right on. Uh, All right. Uh, so Raven, after this, admits that she wanted to use soul magic to reduce or eliminate her attraction to Uther because it was painful and she knew it was never going to happen, etc. But she couldn't. Her soul was too fucked up. She can't get in there and monkey with it. And 
at that point, I'm like, oh, okay. Now all this makes sense. This is basic resentment. She couldn't change herself, so why should anybody else get to? Uh, I guess she needs some therapy too. I, I appreciate where you're coming from, and you might be right. But I think that you're letting your dislike of her position color your interpretation. And it's awesome because yeah, I might be spotting you being irrationally angry, which is like seeing no. a unicorn. Um, <laughs> the, she said that she was tempted, but she couldn't, yeah. so it was kind of a dead end, right? Right. And now, granted, this could very well just be a sour grapes thing, right? Like you're saying. Mm. Um, but she's not saying, you know, I was desperate to, I tried, but, you know, I killed the first two soul mages that I tried to do it. So now this is my position, which is essentially what you're reading into it. <laughs> well, I... it's, she didn't say that she would have if she could have. She said that she, she was tempted about it once, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which is like, you know, I've been tempted to hit somebody in traffic, you know, for being a dick, right? Um, yeah. I would never I do it. But sometimes you think of like, oh, I could just smash my car into theirs, you know, but I don't know. I think there's a different. difference when you know something is physically impossible and you want to do it, but you just know you can't. I don't know. It's tempted is a different means different things in that situation, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't know. But, well, you but, know, I, I may be, uh, yeah, irrationally upset with her with all this. I don't know. No, I think I think you're probably right. Like the you know, the, the traffic thing is like, I actually could do that. Nothing stopping me except for knowing that it would ruin my life. And I actually don't want to hurt somebody. Um, yeah. Whereas she was stopped because she actually couldn't do it. Yeah. So I don't know if you want to touch on the fact that they do, maybe this will help June get over his Maddie business, but, uh, she, she had a June in her life when she was exactly Maddie's age, who was, who was exactly mm-hmm. June's age. Um, mm-hmm. and she was like, yeah, he sucked at it. And, uh, sex that is. And like, that was it. You know, I had some yeah. unrequited feelings. Um, but then it was fine. I, like, I very much think that was in there to to help June get over his shit. And she's, you know, I think she's still less okay with Amaryllis with the fact that, like, this is her life. Be like, oh, that's where that guy came from? to Because you, you, you know, had sex with your friend's younger sister? Like, that's why I loved this guy for a month? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. fine. Fuck my universe. Um, <laughs> right. But, uh, I, yeah. Yeah. I decided I wanted to mention that just because, you know, of course, there's a you know per- a perfect parallel in her life. Um, so I was curious. So then she kind of gets up and leaves. I can't remember if it was like in a huff or um, oh yeah, it was after um, the like. Well, you tried to you thought about modifying your soul, and mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, I did. And then she gets up and leaves, which you know maybe is suggestive of a sour grapes interpretation because it seems like she lost her cool or she realized the argument wasn't going the way she wanted or something. I don't know, but um, the uh, June tries to finish her her argument himself, and he's thinking like um, he says uh, to himself. I tried to imagine the speech that I thought she might have given. Well, you see, Juniper, we can't just cut out our bad feelings. That's tr- that's treating a symptom, not the cause. If you ignore the cause, all you do is manufacture pain down the road. These feelings need to be struggled with, worn down, and finally bested. It's through struggle that we become better than we were. It's through the pain, sweat, and emotional labor that we grow as people. Beyond that, slow magic is the manipulation. And it, actually, you know, let's take that first half. Because um, okay. I feel like for a lot of stuff, that's true. Yes. I think that's um, in large part why Erb is here as opposed to simply cutting the stuff out of June's psyche in the future that would make him better. He, he's got to go through it and wrestle with it and fix it, you know, this way rather than some kind of soul surgery. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but it's not clear if soul surgery was as effective. They could just do that, right? Yeah. But it may be like, like Raven's saying, it doesn't, it doesn't 
address the source or maybe it does i don't know well because it, it sounds like if she's right here then there's something to be said about like well you can't just use this to solve problems like you can she's... use this to ignore problems totally yeah um and sometimes that's all you can do you know right. um perfect example depends on the pain <laughs> yes <laughs> you know? yes it D- didn't stop him from getting injured but it stopped it from mattering um mm-hmm. so maybe, maybe that is something to think of there but uh I didn't want to like it depends on whether this is a deep soul searching thing that he has to fix about himself that he likes sex or that Amaryllis has to fix about herself that she doesn't like sex or if it's just like one of those things that you can change we're like you know what uh I don't like cilantro but everything every na- restaurant in my neighborhood uses cilantro in their stuff so I'm just gonna change it so that I like cilantro now instead of having to go through a deep multi-year agonizing <laughs> you know coming to Jesus with yourself so that you finally can accept cilantro into your mouth <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think you're right there are gradations a problem yeah. and uh, some of them definitely sound more applicable for a quick just button press solution right yeah um, she says uh, beyond that oh we talked about this soul magic is the manipulation and eventual death of the self you know mm-hmm. that because you've had every opportunity to alter yourself and refused. You felt it and Fen died. You didn't cut or even dampen those emotions because you knew that would be a betrayal of who you were. What I love is that like he's giving a really good steel man of her position to himself, I think. Yeah. You know, he 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 brought up Fen, a painful, painful point for him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you seem to you seem to already believe me, June, because you didn't chop out the Fen pain. Yeah. Which, you know, it sucked and there's nothing you could do about it. You could have just turned it off. But no, you wanted to live it. Yeah. Maybe that's partly because June's a masochist who likes feeling sad, but <laughs> I think that there's uh, there's some value in I don't know having having that be there. I agree. I think it can be overdone. I I've had you know some relationships in my past which didn't work out, and at this point, I do wish I could soul modify to reduce some of the after effects of those because I think it's been long enough, and uh, some of those those you know reverberating pains from that are at this point pathological and doing more harm than good so uh it, there would be some some things that i would dampen right now from bad things that happened in the past because i felt them i went through that i changed because of it and now the things that are left and still bothering me are are maladaptive rather than good things that i need to work through i think you make a really good point and you know i'm not sure what the the number is you know how many days or minutes or whatever but at some point there's a a level where you're like okay look i've learned everything i can from this and it still hurts this is dumb Mm -hmm. you know like i used the example of hitting your toe yesterday or last week um or the week before and it's like yes body i get it i'll be careful you can stop hurting now message received Um, yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah, so at that point, you turn the pain off. Yeah, okay. I, I think uh, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. But we can move to happier uh, conversation here. <laughs> yes. He's, he's thinking about Grack, and he says, I was tempted to call Grack non-binary, as that was technically accurate, but to me that implied some level of gender divergence or non-conformity. I think at the time that this was written, this was probably accurate, but uh, nowadays I kind of made the joke about Alexander Whale trying Whale's trying to get himself canceled because uh, nowadays uh, to imply that you have to be uh, divergent or nonconformist to be non-binary is it's kind of a sin. You can be a completely stereotypical, very conforming person of your gender and still be non-binary, and anyone who says otherwise needs to be canceled. Yeah, I it's. I guess I'm lucky I learned about all this stuff back when it was uh, more straightforward, which is to mm-hmm. say in the long time ago in or whatever ages ago in the long, long ago of 2017 or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, five years ago, I th- this made more sense. But 
Um, you know, and now the sense is like, you know, it's, I, I'm completely, you know, I have no, no stake in how other people feel about themselves or their gender identity. Right. Like yeah. just, you do you, you be happy. My attitude is just dudism. Um, yeah. but at least it was explained to me in a way before where I could understand it. Like, Oh, okay. Some people have a sense of smell and I don't have that. So you're, you're telling me you've got this feeling of something that you call gender. Like you, you, you feel like a man or you feel like a woman or neither. Um, if you say so, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, but now even that is, uh, like you said, that's, that's too far. You're not even allowed to, well, it depends on who, on the dumbest corners of the internet. You're not allowed to have, uh, uh, you're not allowed to draw the line there, but I feel like people sometimes, uh, sometimes people often think that the loudest, dumbest parts of the internet are representative. Um, and actually they don't have to be representative. They just have to be loud enough to cause a trouble, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they're very rarely representative, but they can, you know, make trouble in your life, which is yeah. what people are scared of. Hundred so. percent. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you want to try and get canceled, but I had a. Um, and we've we've been on this chapter for an hour, so maybe we skip this and save it for another yeah, day. Let's let's do it. I always try to get canceled, and it hasn't worked yet. All right, real fast. So, <laughs> hypothetically, I'm not actually trying to get canceled, but yeah, go ahead. You have a child, say about eleven, who says they're feeling gender dysphoria and wants to transition. Do you mm-hmm. use soul magic to get rid of their gender dysphoria, or do you use soul magic to help them tr- help them transition into their desired shape? Why is well, why have, is why is one choice better than the other? Uh, if you have soul magic, everything is entirely reversible, so it doesn't matter. Let them transform their body if they want and try that out for a while. Well, well, I mean, why not just turn off their pain? I mean, you could do that if they'd want to do that instead. Doesn't matter either way. But they're eleven; they don't know any better. You have to do it. I mean, again, it's it's entirely reversible, so doesn't matter if they wanted to do the the body shape change. Let's do the body shape change, and if they don't like it, we can move it back. That's the nice thing about magic, you know you you don't have to worry about the the knock on effects of of introducing hormones into a body. Uh, you can just be like, yeah, sure, whatever, and if it doesn't work out, no harm done. Okay, you're not a soul mage, but there is a town soul mage, and they're very expensive. You can only afford their services once. Ooh, so it's not reversible. Okay, I'm trying to make this as, as uh, inconvenient as possible. And at that point, I guess I would want the kid to like really be sure about this because otherwise they're going to be having to get a job and save up for many years to reverse this on their own. Uh, And I wouldn't want to rush into it one way or the other. But eventually, if they are having, you know, a lot of pain due to gender dysphoria, it should be fixed one way or the other. And whichever way they prefer is fine, I think, whether it's getting rid of the dysphoria or changing the body, either one works out. Yeah. You know what? That wasn't nearly as uh, controversial as I thought it might be. Um, What's interesting is my mental model of Raven might say to the kid, like, look, life is hard. Suck it up, you know, Mm -hmm. with more uh, nuance than that. Mm -hmm. Um, Raven would probably say, look, no, we don't use soul magic, even if it would solve all the problems right now. Right. Which is interesting. You have to live through this pain and and grow as a person and come to accept that not everything is perfect and fixable by soul magic so uh you know do what you can to live with what you were given yeah and grow as a person is probably the things that she would say what's the drag is like i want to be in in raven's camp but if that's if that is how she would solve this problem then i disagree with her so hard that i'm inclined to throw out her her arguments for soul magic stuff too (laughs) well why did you agree with her earlier when it was sex stuff um some things you can't overcome um and sex stuff you know it wasn't i didn't even so much focus on the specific example as i did just on her general case um you know like uh the general case of some some hard feelings are are valuable and their symptoms not causes you know that sort of thing right Mm -hmm. maybe that's the difference though is that you know in this case this actually in the gender dysphoric case that actually is the cause right 
And it's like, look, we found the problem. It's right here. Well, and did, so, you know, we're, it's not like it's not like we're just going to ameliorate your symptoms by making you feel fine about it. We're actually going to make it better. Yeah, but I mean, that's the case with the Amaryllis and June thing, too. They, the root of the problem is just that he likes sex and she doesn't like sex and or, or has sexual attraction. But uh, that can be solved easily as well. It's her her more general case is that this is a slippery slope. Once you change one thing, the temptation is to always change more. And that still applies to the gender dysphoria, too, thing, right? Yeah, and it is. Like, I think the slope is easy slippery. It was to fix that. Okay. How? I mean, you know. Then, then I'll, I'll, we'll move on. But like, I got to think. How is the slope not slippery? Once you've solved a problem like this, and you're like, oh my god, that was so easy, and it mm-hmm. costs me nothing. It took five minutes. I'm going to do this for everything. Right. Now, maybe you just say, look, yeah, it is slippery, and it's a fun ride all the way to the bottom where you're exactly happy, right? Right. Um. Maybe that's maybe that's how that ends up, but. I think I mean, we we solved the the problem of humans not having enough to eat and starving to death by introducing agriculture, and we slipped right into having seven billion people when nobody really wanted to do that. They just wanted for them and their immediate family not to starve. But I don't think that's necessarily bad. Hmm. We we, sli- we solved the not having enough energy problem by burning fossil fuels, and for the most part, that's great. It did have the negative side effect of climate change, and we're dealing with that now too. But uh. You know, it's and once pollution you have a solution, and cancer and all that fun stuff. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's, you know, there's some costs to be borne, but I, I don't think we're going to slip right on down to solving all our energy problems is a problem at all in itself. The problems is with the other things that might come with that, such as pollution. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like we solved our, our hunger problems with agriculture. If we could solve the hunger problem of like, look, we don't need food anymore because I waved a magic wand feel free to have as many kids as you want. Then suddenly we're all crowded. But like, that's, that's maybe kind of like the slippery slope Raven's worried about, but like, then it's like, cool. Now we have a new problem to solve. Now that, now that we're not busy spending 18 hours a day tracking down lunch and dinner, we can just build rockets and go to space. <laughs> like, <laughs> and now, now space, now, uh, now crowding isn't an issue anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh, He's talking with Grack. He is. And Grack says, there is a sadness in momentary things that will always be momentary. I am trying my best not to be sad. Uh, I pulled this out uh, of context because I think the context doesn't particularly matter for this particular point. Um, I think that if you're immortal, that is literally everything. There is nothing that is not momentary. Even your own, like self life is still momentary because you'll change over these centuries or millennia or whatever. So you know, I agree that there is a sadness to momentary things that will always be momentary. Uh, I, I miss things a lot, but you got to be willing to accept some sadness of that kind if you're going to have endless life. So um, I, I guess that's the one bummer side of being immortal. Isn't that exactly as true whether you're mortal or not? Yes, but I think it's it's it hits you more if you're mortal because a lot of people have the feeling that like, you know, it's not momentary if it lasts the rest of my life. Uh, which I guess certainly is true for the person speaking it, but I always thought it was kind of selfish because, you know, your life is momentary for everyone that's not you. So you're trading, some things are not momentary for me, but in return, everybody who knew, knew me has to deal with my dying. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's possible to go an ordinary life without like really internalizing this or make it, you know, making this a core understanding of your wisdom. Um, mm-hmm. But you would never be happy as an immortal if you never kind of got uh you know learn this lesson yeah um okay yeah no that makes sense so yeah that that's all i had to it yeah, as mm. as future mortals we gotta we gotta learn to accept some sadness in our lives and be sad 
We do get along anyway. What I liked about this chapter is they, you know, he doesn't quite call it out because Val wasn't there to meta point out the nature of it. But this was him making the rounds, checking on everybody. He's even talking with the doe. Uh, oh, because they show up in like this weird ass way. It was hilarious. Um, this big bird shows up and just screams, "Juniper, we're coming!" And I, I think my note was just like shrug. I got nothing. <laughs> like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> but yeah. then, of course, it's the doe and Solace showing up, and I was like, okay, that's. In hindsight, super obvious. Anytime I'm very confused, especially if there's an animal involved, it's going to be Solace <laughs> slash the doe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Good point. So then June uses the uh, whatever magic helmet to put on his doe glasses and uh, or his locust vision. And it's fun. He's a nice, handsome stag, which confirms that the, the locust wants to bang him. Um, <laughs> but also the locust's interpreted view of Solace is Solace having a leash around its neck. Yeah. And was it more sinister than just a leash or was it? Um, she was also like a uh, scrunched up old hag. Yeah. Holding a rope, which is tied around the neck. It wasn't even a leash because a rope gets tighter when you pull it. Um, mm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's a pretty straightforward metaphor, which is why I don't think it needed the, you know, I mentioned last week or the week before that I like, oh, when planting stuff in the Doris, Doris Finch exclusion zone. June was like, I didn't even realize we're talking in metaphor. And I was like, me either. But Alexander thought of this awesome metaphor and didn't want it to go over even people like my head. Um, <laughs> and so he pointed it out. But this one, you know, is straightforward enough. So um, yeah. I think uh, the doe has Bad maybe some understandable feelings. Yeah. The yeah. two of them are not getting along. And I think it seems like they're not getting along anyway from the doe's point of view. And that could be really bad. If I had to spend 30 seconds psychoanalyzing, you know, Salas... Her whole life has been about helping out this, this, the, the locust, right? Mm -hmm. This animal shaped thing that doesn't talk to her, um, mm -hmm. that she's convinced she has to, I mean, she is the only person who can help it. Right. Um, yeah. And so it's been her whole life's goal. And so on the one hand, you really want to su succeed at that goal. But on the other hand, it's like, this is my whole life. Once I do this, like, what else am I supposed to do? Um, yeah. So maybe there's some kind of concern there on Solace's end. And on the doe's end, it's like, this person's really obsessed with me. And I get it. but you know, back off and let me do my thing. Um, right. You keep putting safety rails around me when I don't need them. Um, I wonder, it's possible a doe might not be human level smart and it can't understand it that Solace is doing these things for all very good reasons. Mm -hmm. Like Solace put me in this jar and I resent her for it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like you realize you would have died, right? Like, yeah. And it, the doe does not realize. Right. So it's possible the doe doesn't quite get that. Yeah. But nothing, uh, nothing else to add there for me. What about you? That's all I got. Cool. Well, then we're on to 207, an elevated monologue, which is a monologue yes. in an elevator. It is. Yay. June starts out. Well, it doesn't start out, but June is talking about Elijah Blue is his whole life a uh, object lesson for me. If we assume that, what does the lesson entail? Uh, Amaryllis is like, are you back on the narrative train? And June says no, because he is a liar. <laughs> he's been on the narrative train for I don't even know how many chapters now. And I don't know why he's got to lie to Amy like that. Yeah, get on board, man. Choo-choo. Um, right. You know, I think maybe he's saying, look, I'm not... I'm not fully on board, but if I was, what would we be thinking? Uh, I, I think it'd be tough to live to live a fulfilling life, believing that it was all narratively guided by somebody else, because then you're just you're kind of along for the ride, you know. Mm -hmm. So you want to tell yourself like, no, I'm I'm here for me, you know. But what's fun on a meta note for this whole chapter is like the previous chapter's discussion on bodily autonomy and um and knock on effects that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. All kind of apropos for this. Very much so. Yeah. Uh. Well. Yeah. 
I guess we're about to get into that. Before we do, uh, June says it was important for uh, Captain Blue here to shift the wrongdoing onto others, to deny that this was anything other than how the world had been set up to betray him. And like to me, that doesn't seem like a June issue at all. Uh, he's very June is very self-hating and self-blaming, uh, which is the exact opposite of blaming the entire world instead. So I am counting this as my support for my therapy for Amy theory of Captain. And I think she should be trying to be analyzing how Captain Blue is, you know, supposed to be s- set up for her. And uh, I guess she isn't doing that because she's not secure enough to approach it head on yet. She hasn't had 200 chapters of having it hammered into her head that Arab is therapy for her. <laughs> um I, I know this from next chapter, but I know I'll forget. Uh, but you get confirmation that he does do business with people. Mm-hmm. And so I knew he was lying yeah. when Amaryllis was like, well, well, I know you do business with people. He's like, what? You think I do that? No, I'm here all by myself. It's been terrible. Meh. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, he's he's busy out the ass working for people. Yeah. So I just, I knew I'd, I forgot to put that in my notes and I knew I'd forget. But um, the thing is, so like, Amaryllis' over pessimism wasn't maybe actually wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she doesn't need therapy. The world does. Um, <laughs> nice. No, it's the children who are wrong. <laughs> In this case, seems true. But I do like the idea that Arab might be for the betterment of the whole party. But I, I, I don't think it explains everything, and I don't think Amarillo's buys it either. Like, if they have, it could, you know, it doesn't explain why the world was built for slash by June. Mm-hmm. Like the, uh, if we're gonna make so, like, if I recenter thinking, all right, let's put June as the only important person in the universe. The the reason Amaryllis might have grown from doing the Hyacinth encounter thing with uh, taking better options there um, is because she could become a better person herself and thus be a better person to help June become the best version of himself, right? So it's still all for him, but... yeah. It, it could be the, part the, of the side effect is that Amaryllis becomes a happier, more fulfilled person. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good side effect that we should be in favor of. Exactly. Uh, some collateral damage that everyone around it becomes great. Like, <laughs> yeah. Does crack, slightly crack, remind crack, me crack of. gets a new lease on life. You know, Bethel becomes less of an asshole and uh, everybody wins. Yeah. It reminds me slightly of Gabby B's idea that maybe everyone is June. I still think that's kind of a stretch, though. I mean, it's a, it's a fun idea. I'll have to think about exactly what that would mean because that all have to be mind domain versions of him because they're all clearly not him one is june june who remembers that his name is juniper smith right yeah exactly and so he's gonna be the one at the center of it kind of like the pr- the pramorillus of it um mm-hmm. but the other ones aren't even divergent of him they are aspects of him fully encapsulated in different versions with no shared history mm-hmm. and so that that changes the game a lot because they're they 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 weren't yanked out of bumblefuck kansas to come here right right yeah but yeah we'll we'll keep our eyes on it yeah amaryllis does say it's good to see you newly energized and i totally agree i think june was getting really sick of all the violence and like having a new non-violent challenge is engaging for him and hopefully that means good things for june going forward me too this was especially uh well, it's just been a turnaround. Was it just the beginning of last week or the week before where he was just like, I'm so over this. I just want it to be done. Um, yeah. And that vibe is gone, which is great. Yeah. Uh, you know, w- once he saved 10 million people or got them on the path to being saved, that's all it took Without to kind of put to... some more skip uh, spring in his step, you know? Yeah. And he didn't have to murder a single person to do it. Yeah. It's actually kind of funny. He didn't kill a single Doris. Um, well, actually, I thought about that because I think he thinks about that. And I suppose... Maybe none of them died directly because he didn't get like a notification for Doris Finch defeated. Um, 
But when he did turn his body to acid and melt a bunch of them, maybe that wasn't lethal for any of them. (laughs) (laughs) So it it was the Batman approach. It's like, yeah, you'll never eat again, but you're alive. (laughs) And I think uh, Grack put up a a bubble ward around them that made made Doris's, like, they couldn't be in it. Annihilation of of the Doris magic, right? So any copied Doris's were annihilated immediately. So, you know, a bunch of them did get annihilated. Right, but Grack when did they it. were getting mob, yeah, yeah, but it was Grack that did it. So it's not quite the same. And then all the ones that he massively maimed with his acid, the other Doris has put down, but he didn't do that, you know. <laughs> right, his hands are mostly clean. I mean, I do think there's a difference between Grack painlessly annihilating a whole bunch of people and beating someone to death with your hands, or or stabbing them to death with a sword. You know, it it, it does feel different. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm teasing. And his hands are yeah, clean because yeah, yeah. of of all the hand washing he did by saving the EZ. Like that's fucking awesome. Right? Totally. Cool. So, yes, they get to the monologue in the elevator with Elijah <laughs> Blue is uh, pointing out that people are capable of committing to a future with from which they cannot escape. Uh, obviously, a man is allowed to ruin himself in the gambling parlors. A woman is allowed to bear a child. And uh, Imperial Doctrine was that there exists a legal right to suicide. Uh, and I think... And also beyond that, a right to eternity in the hells, if you're like, you know, one of the tongue or something, and that's part of your culture and religion. And I think like from a libertarian point of view, he's got like a really, really good point here, because all those things are things that we suck up and bite the bullet and say like, yeah, sometimes people make terrible choices and it sucks and it ruins their lives. But uh, that that was their choice. And that that is a price that we pay for maximum um, personal freedom. But like from moralist point of view, there are... I have been and still are people that have been trying hard to outlaw all of those things. Like th- there's laws against gambling in many places in the U.S. Uh, there's laws against having there were laws at least against having sex before you're married uh so that you couldn't bear a child there's laws against uh having abortions there's laws against suicide in most places in the u.s like those are all things that people claim sometimes you shouldn't have a right to consent to so Hmm. i I wanted to bring that up what do you have thoughts it's like he's on the right side of these arguments uh with the with the one exception where amaryllis does try to well actually him about the suicide thing um the the empire apparently has a more complicated stance than saying, you know, go for it. Um, but we don't get to hear her, hear the explanation because he's monologuing, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I think people should have a right to kill themselves. I would like to have that right. Uh, mm, I'm like, I'd never want to say to somebody, no, you must endure. You have to live no matter what, you know, like that's, that's my, like, I, I that, that, that part's fine. But I think that still having it be, uh, at least frowned upon, not, not frowned upon because, you know, sometimes it's the best thing you can do. You know, like mm-hmm. my wife works in hospice. Um, mm-hmm. There are, you know, she gets patients who are, who have the luxury once in a while to uh, check themselves out. And yeah. that's a much better outcome than dying of whatever is killing you. Um, mm-hmm. But if you're just like, you know, whatever, 30 and don't like your job, like it should be illegal to kill yourself in that situation as just a small disincentive to help like say, no, look, there are other ways to solve this problem, but I don't want to like make somebody do stuff. I don't know. It's, it's weird. Cause you know, I, in, on most, I don't know, five days a week, I'm a libertarian, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like a small L libertarian, not like whatever. Yeah, I know yeah, all the stuff. The f- so I'm really into it. Libertarian. Um, that's a political party that can't get anything done in the U S right. I, I'm, I'm the John Stuart mill utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so, most of the time I'm that, but like, 
you know, it's interesting because all of these have have down the road effects. You know, if a man is allowed to ruin himself gambling, it's like, great. Well, now his wife and kids don't have a place to live. Um, yeah. You know, a woman's allowed to bear a child. Great. Now that kid's going to be hungry and poor its whole life. Um, mm-hmm. Like there are there are actually downsides to these things. But the the libertarian answer is like, yes, but it's worth it to have the freedom because my freedoms um, mm-hmm. and because, you know, less uh, mockingly, um, it's worth the cost because having the ability to exercise your your liberty uh, has more upsides than downsides. Right. Yeah. I mean. I am of the opinion that all drugs should be legal. Yeah. Even though some people really fuck themselves up with them. Yeah, me too. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. This, this is fun. Um, what's great about it is, you know, he's, he's still kicking puppies, right. And twirling his mustache, but he's making a really good case for like, no, this is actually like, if, if you say I can't kick puppies, then you're actually saying no to a bunch of things that you actually really appreciate having in your life. Yeah. And so, also, what about the puppies that run up to me and say, like, please, sir, this is my fetish. Will you kick me? Right. <laughs> um, you had the question about uh, specifically the eternity in hells. Yeah. Like, June checked the box to to allow himself an eternity of hell. Should we tell people they can't go to hell? He's, like, the only person with a choice. Um, right. Or with a real choice. The other ones get to sign some paperwork and hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting and I wanted to bring that up because his circumstances are unique, right? A, in that he actually gets to decide. Um, yeah. But B, in that he has a really good reason to think that if he goes to hell, it won't just be an eternity of torment. You know, yeah. it could but be, also, but it probably won't be. I don't know. Like, maybe it will be. Like, he could he be delusional? Uh, maybe hell, really, you just can't get out of hell no matter what. And uh, He's going to find that out the hard way. And boy, is that going to suck for him. And he never should have been allowed to consent to something because he was so very wrong about the reality of hells. Maybe. I mean, so that's definitely a risk. But if anyone has reason to think that hell's not like everyone else thinks it is, it's him. Because it, he's special, right? Yeah, but at this point, we're asking, are we allowed, is he allowed to make that decision for himself? Or are we going to tell him, your risk assessment is wrong, you can't make that decision? And why? why are we saying june can make that assessment for himself but not like you know random joe tongue yeah no it's interesting so like like i said with june he's got some reasonable estimate to believe that okay no my my existence in hell won't be like everyone else's um but if you're if you're joe tongue and you're like well i'm fine with that i would rather that than annihilation like mm-hmm. i don't want to tell them that they can't do it right yeah like obviously it's bad um it, I mean, it's it's bad in that I wish it didn't happen. Uh, mm-hmm. They probably wish it didn't happen, but they've they've got two choices. They've got oblivion or uh, eternal torment. I I feel like they'd have to be an idiot to sign up for eternal torment instead. Yeah, but there's uh, you can't outlaw stupid. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> go for there's it. A lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking too. But on the other hand, there's a lot of people who would call us monsters and say you can outlaw stupid and you should outlaw some types of stupid. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I, I do think it, it, it would be cool if there was like a law against taking out a mortgage on your house for gambling. Right. Mm. Um, and there probably might be, I don't know, somewhere. Certainly there is in like Denver cause you can't, you know, hit a slot machine in Denver. Um, you have right. to go out of town to do it, but, uh, like there are probably good laws for like safety rails and some things. And I think that, I think that's fine. Um, mm. you know, uh, there are, there are, there are lots of freedoms that we're fine giving up. You know, I'm not allowed to drive on the wrong side of the road at 100 miles an hour without someone stopping me. Like, and and I give up that freedom 
in exchange for the safety of being able to drive on the roads without worrying about someone colliding with me at 100 miles an hour, right? That's true. And so maybe you're okay giving up the freedom to gamble away your life savings for the the offsetting um, benefit of not having your neighbor ruin his family and you know become desperate and all the other knock-on effects of having that happen to the guy who lives next door to you. Right. Then every time you look out your window, you see some you know cold kids huddling around a trash can fire and it bums you out. So you're like, man, I sure wish he wasn't allowed to piss away his life savings on gambling. Right. Um, He's cooking up meth in his basement or something. Yeah. So... You know, I think that just like with, you know, I, I have my, my vague version of utopia is some version of just like kind of like what we have now, but with better safety rails, which is to say any. Um, right. That, that's kind of like how I want my legal system. But it's all it's I all mean, very un, unrefined. I think. The one that hit closest to me is a woman is allowed to bear a child because I have very, very long been an advocate for uh, sterilization at puberty. If, if it was possible, then it should be a legal requirement that everybody when they hit puberty is reversibly sterilized and not until they uh, want to have a child and sign a paper saying, yes, I would like to have a child now is the sterilization reversed. Um, which, you know, is it's a very very slight uh change because th- th- there is no like test or anything it'd be like just someone says they want it to reverse it gets reversed period uh but it still is an imposition right yeah but i mean like the be- the in the ideal version of your position somebody makes this decision uh or rather this is this is passed when you when you hit puberty you're immediately sterile but mm-hmm. everybody gets a pill in the mail on their 10th birthday you take this and you're not sterile anymore. Yeah. Like you don't even have to ask anybody. It's just whenever you want. So right. the the right is still there. Um, it's just now it, now you just it you don't have to accidentally get pregnant. But then also in an ideal world, wouldn't you not give that pill to someone who's ten years old? You would wait until they have the you know, the maturity to make that decision for themselves, whether that happens at 12 or 16 or 22. Oh, I just picked 10 because I figured this before most people went through puberty so they could just have the thing around for when the time came. Um, yeah, but that's that's also the thing where now I'm making decisions for people that like, not until you can make informed consent to having a child, are you allowed to take this pill? And that would mean that some people who are mentally retarded would never be able to have children. And like, I'm okay with that, but I can see how other people wouldn't be. That's a tough spot. Um you know, if if you're severely mentally handicapped, you're not going to be able to care for a kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, presumably your partner won't be able to either. I think that if your partner was of full capacity, they might be doing something wrong by impregnating you. Um, but the, and I say might with a quote on it, I think they probably definitely are. Uh, but uh, the, you know, to say, yeah, sorry, I know this is a big thing that humans like, but eh, you can't really handle it. But then again, we don't let people who are severely handicapped drive. But I guess driving isn't like the same thing as, you know, having offspring. But I mean, I think having offspring is much more severe. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. And it's more like core to humanity. Whereas driving is just super convenient. You know, being able to have a child is like the, it, it, it's, it's the core thing our genes want. If there's one thing we're programmed for uh, in general humans, it's like we want children, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so saying, no, you don't get that, but the rest of us do. I can see how that, that could cause some psychological damage on people, but uh, it, that might just be a cost worth paying. But then, yeah, you're, you know, the thing is with like a, a even like with the libertarian stance, it's like the, the people involved in the system have to be aware of the system, right? 
Yeah. That's like why we don't let dogs. Well, there are places with dogs that are mayor, but somebody's signing the paperwork, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a joke mayor. Exactly. The dog's but, not making any decisions. Yeah. Nowhere really is a dog driving a semi truck, you know, for work. Like, mm-hmm. cause they can't get a commercial driver's license. So like, um, you've got to, you've got to draw the line at like, look, you got to be able to at least read the rules. I don't know. Um, yeah. So it, maybe it's, it's yeah, tough. I don't know. It is. I, I like, I like having the default position of a mature adult can consent to anything they want to, but I see the argument for not letting people consent to some things that are damaging enough to those around them, that it's not worth it to allow that level of personal liberty. Well, and then the other side too of, you know, where do you draw the line at mature adult, you know? Um, And I know that's always going to be fuzzy and that was a subject we've talked about before, but like, you know, Mm -hmm. again, with the mentally handicapped uh, children scenario, certainly like sterilizing people against their will is probably super uncool, especially uh, like the way that you're describing, you know, all right, you're, you're, you're pubescent and now you're sterile. The second you don't want to be, you're not anymore. I think as long as that was the case for literally everybody, then that's fine. Right. Right. If we drew yeah. any exceptions, then things get hazy. And they, those exceptions might be worth drawing, but mm-hmm. it, that that looks like a slippery slope. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, the, the second you say, okay, everyone except you, right? Then, well, why that person? Well, because this criteria. Well, that also includes these people. You're right. They can't either now. Um, it, I think as long as it's truly equal, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm personally worried about the slope slipping the other way because – like I, I I know someone that I see several times a year. Uh, he has a child who had severe brain damage uh, during birth and will never progress past the mental level of like a seven year old, maybe, and not even like a normal seven year old. Um, but you know, she has a hard time talking. Uh, she is in a wheelchair. She can't move. Uh, she well, I mean, she can move, but she has a hard time controlling body. She can't go to the bathroom. She has diapers that they need to change. And she's like in her early thirties now. And it's terrible. It's a huge strain on his life, but like she is a sexually mature adult in that, like if something were to happen, she could get pregnant. And this is someone who like literally cannot feed herself or go to the bathroom or make decisions. She watches like Sesame street stuff. Like I, I I think it's fucked up that they can't get that it would be frowned upon if they were to ask if their daughter could be sterilized, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. But in that case, you have somebody who's not, again, this is kind of like, uh, and I used dogs as an example earlier, because dogs are happy. And this is a sad subject. Um, mm-hmm. Let's be real. If if that person had become pregnant, somebody committed a serious crime. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So if somebody commits a crime against her, she's forced to bear the burden of it. And you're, you're, you're saying, wouldn't it be nice if we could just say, look, we're prophylactically putting a crime barrier you know, around this, that if something were to happen, then at least part of the damage is mitigated. Is that more or less what you're going to say? I mean, basically, yeah, I I think it's fucked up that it's considered bad uh, if her parents were to want to have her sterilized. I think in large part, it's because like, what's the point? But it is kind of just like a just in case sort of thing, maybe, you know, at that point, though, that person's not making decisions for themselves, they're having decisions made for them. Right. And so kind of like with, you know, giving a two year old a vaccine, if even if it can say no, it will try, but you're like tough shit, you're getting one, you know? Yeah. That's why I was saying I was worried about the slope slipping the other way because it has slipped far enough that that is considered bad and in some places illegal. Where is this a real thing? You're not allowed to give kids yes, vaccines? Yes. No, 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 no. A sterilization of, of people who are mentally handicapped. Oh, right. Well, that's because that was that was historically in the US done uh 
overzealously without consent. Right, and so I'm saying the slope slipped too far the other way if we believe in such a th- thing as slippery slopes. Right. No, that's, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. I thought you were talking about the uh, the kid vaccine thing. I'm like, don't tell me humanity is doomed. Like, <laughs> we, we can't no. be that stupid. Um, well, I mean, although it is illegal to give people under the age of five the COVID vaccine because we are that stupid. On the plus side, I don't know, maybe there's been double-digit children under the age of five who've died of covid and then again i guess you don't want them bringing it home to grandma hmm yeah uh you can't test on kids you know some of these safety rails are there for a reason but uh not saying i agree with it i i I at least understand where it came from but yeah no it's uh it's a deep subject yeah we've gotten far off the rails i think no it's great because this whole thing goes off the rails it's true, despite the fact that they're on elevator rails. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so Elijah Blue points out that he's done everything in his power to make sure uh, that this is done, that his zombie factories are done in a safe and ethical way. He prepares people for what they will endure, uh, and he minimizes what they are able to feel. Apparently, all the zombies that are like his dead man trigger switch have had their brains piffed so that there's basically no one there, like a total lobotomy. Uh, once he found out that zombies actually feel pain he cycled through all those zombies as fast as possible bottling or damning them as best as he could tell what they would wanted and uh any new zombies that he brought on were given full effects full knowledge of what the effects of zombification are and like if what he's saying is true it seems pretty exculpatory right i mean it he has done everything he can to make things as safe as possible um you know one might ask then well sure but you're still doing the bad thing um but he's like, no, look, I've I've moved every mountain to make it not bad. And it's like, all right, yeah. I mean, if if I'm buying all this, again, the second you became aware of the problem, you bottled their souls as best you could. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, that it's like, okay, yeah, it sounds like you're trying your darndest to do this the right way. Yeah. So, I mean, we we allow people to do manual labor, and that wears your joints away over decades until you know. If you do it long enough, you end up with a body that is in constant pain because it's old and worn out. And that's not great, but we we allow people to do that. Yeah, but what's the alternative? The alternative could be like, we don't allow people to work more than two, three hours of manual labor a day. Uh, They have to have certain protections. You have to retire after 10 years, stuff like that. Well, we do have certain protections. I feel like if we could, if people could feed themselves on three hours of manual labor a day, that'd be fucking awesome. Um, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like the protections are like, no, look, you're not allowed to force your employees to work 24 hour shifts. Um, mm-hmm. You're not allowed to force them to do things that are unreasonably dangerous without as much safety as possible involved. Right. Um, the yeah, I mean, I think the really interesting part is some of the labor history is crazy. Like people were proud of having dangerous jobs and they actually had to force laws to make workplaces more uh, safe over the over the protestation of the workers in those industries, in most industries. It was kind of crazy. I went to high school. I doubt they still do it anymore because someone could get hurt. But it's so weird because it sounds like I grew up in the 80s. Um, mm-hmm. Like I went to high school in the 80s, but I didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. The We had like a metallurgy class that included um, uh, some, like we had meltdown. I think it was aluminum because it's got a low melting point. And you could make belt buckles or rings, or whatever you felt like doing. Um, but we also did welding and stuff too, and woodwork. But the welding I'm thinking of in particular, because there's one guy around junior high or high school started wearing flannel and thought of himself as a cowboy. Um, he refused to wear any sort of uh, facial protective gear, including eye protective gear while welding. Because mm-hmm. I ain't no pussy. Um, All right. He's got eye calluses. Right. And uh, he, should, he probably does now. Um, <laughs> he, but uh, like, 
I, I can see where he might be like, you can't tell me to wear a wear a helmet or wear eye protection. Like it's my my body, my choice. Um, right. But I think you know to, to push back on the my body, my choice thing. It's like no, but your employer. If if we don't if we don't make a blanket rule because we're not we're not allowed to enforce every niche case. It has to be a blanket rule because otherwise your employers won't buy you guys helmets. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, how about this as an alternative? Instead of like slowly wearing your body down until your last couple decades are in in you know pretty pretty constant if not severe pain enough that you want to take you know some some opiates every day. Instead of having that as an option, what if like you get a kind of decent middle class lifestyle like the kind our parents had where they could afford their own four bedroom house uh, <laughs> and a car and all that for, for for working at the factory? That sort of <laughs> lifestyle, but you don't actually have to do any sort of work. It's just sort of a regular lifestyle. And when you die at the end of your life around 60, 65, uh, they take your body and they animate it. They sever your brain's connection to the pain nerve so you don't feel any pain and maybe get lobotomized so you don't really think too much or get bored and then for the next 200 years your body does a bunch of labor and uh in return for that you had you know 60 years of normal middle class lifestyle is that is that a trade you'd be willing to make i love the hypothetical (laughs) right because i think that's what he was selling to people here and that sounds like a pretty decent deal to be honest i'm not using my body after i die yeah but he's not giving them a good life beforehand is he he's just taking volunteers i i don't know uh, but it but in, like in the least convenient was... possible world, he's he's giving them a good life first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, what's awesome is like you know, aside from the risk, you know, my my personal preference of being crop preserved or something, and the risk of that not working out under these circumstances. Um, like other than that, that sounds awesome, right? Well, God, you know, or would I rather take my chances? Well, I guess the thing is, I get the choice. Um, you know, because I'd rather take my chances. Maybe like, no, I'm going to work hard. But at 60, when I retire, I'm going to be healthy and able to enjoy myself for 30 years, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so there's there's definitely a trade-off. But having that guarantee mm, with full consent and, you know, as much as you can anyway in that position, give people. Uh, and if it's, you know, as painless as, as he says it is after he wants to use your meat suit to whatever, push dirt around or whatever, um, then, hey, it's hard for me to say what's wrong with it. I know. It, it seems entirely reasonable at this point. I, I love how we just have to keep saying, seems reasonable right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Before we get to the next chapter. <laughs> um, yeah. But I don't know. I, I was thinking it, it seemed a lot like the, the Captain Zone is sort of a demonstration of rule via principles versus rule via ick. That like he's got these general principles of informed consent and uh and bodily autonomy and freedom of association and applying those consistently gets you his hell zone and other people are like well no 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 that's icky so uh we are going to make that illegal and fuck the principles the whole thing is fucked up by by the next chapter's reveal where we find out that all this was a lie well most of it was a lie i think right um yeah and it's possible because i did read this like a week ago i've forgotten some stuff so you know we'll we'll go over it but like what i like about it especially doing it in this order you know so we suspected that he was a mustache twirling evil person this whole time. Mm. And then we get some reason, some plausible reason to think, okay, yeah, no, he's doing his best. He's doing the gross thing, but I I can't exactly put my finger on which part of it is the wrong part. So, Mm. you know, that, okay. Like, so we just have to stop the wrong part. Well, but like you can't point at it. Right. So it's like, what I love is the the order that Alexander gave us this. Uh, We hear about the evil zombie overlord guy. Mm. And then we, learn a bit more about him, about how evil he is and how he just owned up to it. Um, mm. But then we're getting all this and it's like, okay, so if all this is true, it's hard to, 
you know, show me the wrong part. Show me. Point here, right? Point to the yeah. line. Um, yeah. So I, I really like how it was done. Um, it's it's interesting because, like, I'm trying to think of, you know, principles versus ick. Like, if your principles suck, it, you know, then that's fine. Um, you can just say, no, yeah, your, your principle of, like, well, uh, anyone with a penis can do whatever they want. Anyone with that one has to do whatever a person with a penis says they have to do. Like, that can be yeah. your principle. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's not like every principle is awesome. But, uh, you know, these. what's great, what's fun about this is that for the most part, and Alexander knows his audience, these are all principles we agree with. Yeah. And uh, this is, you know, worse than the age of M. Um, You're right. Because <laughs> there's every reason to think that the age of M, you know, uh, that the M's won't suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, so not that they'll consent to lots of suffering and get it, but that they just, that they just won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, this is great. Um, Certainly the least convenient possible world. Yeah, yeah that that's uh, I I agree. And he puts demanding for the win question mark. I said yeah, absolutely for the win. Um, mm. It it forces us to face the the moral challenge, and it's that's that's what makes it good fun. Yeah. Like I I love the things where it's like God, I I think this is wrong, but I I'm having a hard time putting my finger on it. Um, or or maybe you're like, well, I thought this was wrong, but I couldn't find a consistent principle, so I guess I guess I'm mistaken. You know, um, yeah. you know. By the end of the story, hopefully, I'll settle my mind on soul magic. Um, but you know, honestly, I think it's a case by case thing. That's my current position. But I want to take a strong stance on yay or nay. But um, I don't think that that's. I don't think I need a principled, you know, always or never kind of thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. I could say no. Look, that's why I like actually having the Council of Arches decision making thing. The downside, of course, is that then you'll get the occasional time where you're asking for something totally reasonable, and the one funny that did in your group is like, no. Um, <laughs> but didn't they make the the council and the rule and all that stuff before Raven joined the group? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So let's like look. Okay, yes, you're in the group because you got the companion perk, but like, it's not. We we didn't know we'd have someone so unreasonable when we drafted the legislation. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> only people who are physically present at the signing get to make have have opinions on this honestly that sounds fair because you, you knew the kind of people that you were making a decision with at the time yeah totally and that's that's the reason that the council is going to dissolve with them right mm-hmm. all right what's this top of page yeah. 10 bottom of page nine am i just missing something there um i i think this is still june like thinking okay the captain is supposed to be uh when you just can't admit that you did something wrong and so you double down on stuff and i think that june is wrong that th- thinking that's what the captain is supposed to be about. I think it's supposed to be about what we were just talking about, where you have all these principles that all seem good and consistent. And if you apply them, somehow you end up with the necrolabum easy. And what, what are you supposed to do when good principles, when applied, seem to lead lead to ickiness, which is what I really think Captain Blue is about, as opposed to this like, oh, I have such a pathological pathological aversion to introspection that I uh, hmm. I refuse to acknowledge that I've done something wrong. Okay, yeah, great point. That has to stay in. Uh, if that sounded disjointed, it's because I asked Inuyash to elaborate on a point that he made that we weren't going to cover at length, but he gave a really good summary, which was already talked about, but it was piecemeal. I liked that succinct put-together bit. Cool. All right, there's a last line here. The captain... You know, attempting to address issues, you know, he says, simply doesn't matter. No remedy will suffice to silence my critics. People want a villain. What's funny is like, on the one hand, some people are made like the villain of people, uh, of especially, you know, popular culture looking for easy uh, virtue points, right? Yeah. And yet I can imagine these exact words coming out of Trump's or Putin's mouth. And it sounds pathetic <laughs> yes. when they say it. Yeah. You know, yeah Trump exactly. definitely said this just with less uh, syllables. And mm-hmm. uh, like... 
So sometimes it's a, it's a sensible thing to say, and sometimes it's the stupidest, most pathetic thing to say ever. So yeah, it's great. But that actually segues nicely into the merits of eternal suffering. Yes. The merits of oblivion was the earlier chapter. So I like how there's uh, the two different looks into this. Are we still in the same camp? I think when we talked about it before, uh, I remember my position. If you're if you're on Arab, do you want to sign up to go to hell or just sign up to be bottled and obliviated? Bottled. Yeah, same. Yeah, definitely obliviated. Because there's no reasonable chance of survival for the average muggle. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yep, I was making sure so, I remember correctly. After the big old uh, monologue that he delivered, the gang is talking about uh, his, you know, concepts of consent that he was putting forward and it's brought up that uh someone powerful like captain asking consent from people without power uh or people who'd had coercion applied it, it they're squiggly about it june says it's the kind of thorny stuff that you could spend all day on um i at the time that i was reading this i had just like the day before read an interesting claim uh that said for nearly 100 percent of all people on earth it's impossible to meaningly f- meaningfully consent to employment because their other option is to starve uh, that's of course not literally literally true in the United States. Over here, you just end up destitute, but that's really not much better. Um, but uh, if that is your other option, that means you don't really have an option. All employment is under coercion of death or destitution, and so no consent to employment can be thought of as valid. And I think that's a completely insane position, but like it seems to have hints of truthiness. So I don't know. <laughs> It's funny because I already accused you of being a communist or socialist last week, I think. Um, <laughs> but, no, no, I. It's, it's interesting. This is an actual conundrum. Like, you know, I guess it's not clear exactly what consent can possibly mean in this in these situations. Um, yeah. Like, you know, you, you know vaguely what you're getting into. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I'm going to be giving up most of my time to work. And, uh, you know, like we talked about before, like with actually the same guy, you know, the the, the exclusion zone, like, yeah, most people, they get to go to work or whatever. And like, yeah, it's hardly a choice, but it is still kind of an actual choice. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying that, you know, you just read recently people making that same case. Um, that, I mean, you know, it's... Right- oh, go ahead. Okay, well, right now I am um, re-renovating uh, a place that I'm going to move into. Um, I I guess that is by consent because I'm not being paid for it. Uh, but if I was being paid to do this exact same labor by someone else, could I not consent to that? And I guess more <laughs> importantly, I can't put in my own carpet. So I'm I'm hiring a, a carpenter to put the carpet in for me. Am I exploiting him? Am I enslaving him? Can he not consent to putting in my carpet if I give him money in exchange for this labor? Because that seems really fucked up. Like, it, does that mean that the only the only morally appropriate appropriate labor in the world is to grow your own food and eat it and if you want like a playstation you have to mine your own rare earth minerals and refine them and make your own playstation like what the fuck well unless someone wants to volunteer to do the mining and then sell it you know um but then then you are exploiting them because they had to do that in order that they could buy the food that i was growing now what if like that's just what they wanted to do you know it's it's impossible i uh there's compromises, you know, but it is fun. Um, and it's super apropos to this, this whole thing. Cause it's like, you know, Captain he's again, like, yeah, is pretending like this is just employment and it's, it's really, really different, but he, he's like, explain exactly how, and it's, it's up at, you know, for a while, it's kind of hard to point at the thing, but like, here's how it's really, really different. Um, mm-hmm. or I guess morally meaningfully different, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, uh, you know, I guess there's, there's enough, squiggliness involved in the consent of employment that like you just have to be okay yeah you know does does the person 
who puts my groceries on the shelves where I go grocery shopping, do they really want to do that? Well, they really want to not starve to death. So they really want to do it in that case. But like, that does sound, you know, disgustingly coercive. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you, at some point, you just got to be like, yeah, it's fine. They can quit if they want. They can go do something else. Like, as long as no one's actually holding a gun to their head and the only gun is, you know, metaphorical starvation, um, we just have to be okay with that because that's the way it is for now, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the state of nature anyway. If you don't do some kind of labor, you're going to starve to death, even if that labor is gathering your own food or hunting down your own mammoth. Yeah. You know, that's actually, I wonder what the author of whatever you're reading would have said to that reply. Because it's like, you know, if I was a hunter gatherer, um, I maybe I don't want to kill animals, uh, but I have to. Like, in that case, it's just, you know, the, the universe is the enslaver. Right. And frankly, it is. And, you know, once we're post-scarcity, if anyone's making people do stuff they don't want to do, then that's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. But right now, it's like, yeah, that just stuff sucks. We're just making the best of it. We're, we're putting on the safety rails we can, and that's all there is to it. Yeah. No, that, that's a really good comparison, though. Um, it's it's uh, it's fun. It is. It's it's a. I've been having a great time discussing this topic. Uh, but then we decide to just completely jump the shark when we find out that uh, he's been basically creating hu- hundreds of thousands of orphans every month and mass by just having them born to um, born from pregnant zombies and then brainwashing them until they're eight years old and asking them if they want to be killed and go to hell and they say yes, sir. And so he kills them and sends them to hell in exchange for I don't know resources of some kind uh i mean resources what, what being can you... the uh their labor for a while right uh well no he like actually trades their souls to demons in hell oh, and, that's right yeah, yeah and God. has things sent in raw materials food whatever it is i don't know and like i guess he just it sort of renders moot all the fun debate we were just having which is why i thought we should ignore this part until we get to it because I guess he was just cartoonishly evil after all, literally creating orphans from zombies and then killing them at eight so that their souls can be tortured forever. Like, what? how do you get more cartoonishly evil than that? Um, you don't ask their, you don't you bother brainwashing them and asking. Uh, I guess that's true. He yeah. could have done it even worse. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fun thing is like, you know, the, the captain tried to pretend like we were living in the least convenient possible world mm-hmm. um, where we're actually just living in, an inconvenient world. Uh, it's, it's so it it's not as um, you know what I'm saying. It's not as maximally uh, um, inconvenient as possible because luckily he actually is an evil psychopath. Um, yeah. But like he could just well as not have not have been. And so like yeah. the the lead up to this was still worthwhile and like still worth talking about for all the fun of it. But like I I just for fun, where precisely is the line of what he's doing wrong? Like so. You know, brainwashing like, and then getting consent isn't real consent, but like to not the 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 consenting to employment is different. But like I'll I'll give the example of like um my grandma had a procedure done on Monday, um, went fine, it she's doing better. I talked to her on the phone on Sunday or actually Monday morning before her procedure, and she was like, Yeah, they're gonna do oh, I don't know. I I they're I know what they're they're it'll be, you know, trust what they're gonna do. Like she signed off on it. She's not medically informed. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they no yeah. doubt gave her an explanation, but she, she's just at the point where she doesn't care. She's like, yeah, it'll be fine. It's a 15 minute thing. Um, but even if you really, really do care, um, is, is consenting to a medical procedure even really possible without being a fucking doctor? Like all you can do is go off what they told you. Yeah. And like I think Google. That's, that's definitely where the informed part comes in. I still have a great deal of resentment to my back surgeon because despite the fact that he, 
really helped me out. Like my back feels so much better after the surgery, but he told me at the time, uh, you'll be able to go back to work in two or three days. And within two weeks, you'll be back to normal. Uh, if you know anything about major surgery at all, that is absolutely laughable. I had assumed that it was going to be some kind of laparoscopic surgery or something, but like, I didn't verify with him all the details. I didn't Google stuff. I just kind of trusted him. And then, you know, two weeks later, when I am finally able to shuffle out of bed and literally take a walk around the block for 15 minutes, because that's how long it takes me to shuffle at that tiny speed. I'm like this lying motherfucking son of a bitch. And I would have done the surgery anyway, because the end results were so good, but I didn't fucking need him to lie to me like that. And I, I kind of wanted to stab him in the back for a good year after that, just for for the not allowing me to have informed consent, you know? Well, didn't he also say that you'll, you know, because saying you'll be fine in two weeks is, uh, frankly, if I wish he had written it down or something for you so you could sue yeah. him for malpractice because, uh, but didn't didn't you hurt yourself because you thought that you'd be okay? Possibly. I, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, but okay. So that's, at least it's not, you know, I, dry, I certainly but. started using my, my, back again earlier than i probably should have whether or not it actually made this recovery worse and so that i'm not as pain-free as i would like to be i don't think i'll ever be able to know that's true yeah i mean for the most part it's uh you know you don't get to live the counterfactual where things went the other way but like in in most physical therapy recovery things for surgeries or procedures like that it's like it's going to be a process with setbacks and the setbacks are expected and uh that's you know, so it, if it, you know, like my mom had major knee surgery last summer and, you know, doing well for a few weeks and then, you know, whatever, missed a stair or something and hurt it. And like, mm-hmm. then it's, you know, you're back a week, you know, on recovery, but then you just, you, you know, you add a week to your recovery time, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, I guess I bring all that up because I think that, uh, well, and you, you gave a good example from your life too, but it's like, it's hard to consent without being like, you can't be fully informed. Yeah, um, yeah, you can be as informed as the person who's informing you, and if they're lying to you, that's obviously wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but for all we know, Captain's fucked up enough to believe all. You know, he's drinking all the same snake oil he's feeding to these children, right? Right. Yeah. And so, if he really, really believes it, that's not quite morally excusable because uh, he's an idiot. But um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's more excusable than if he knew he was lying. I, I think th- this comes into the the moral culpability of negligence, and I think if you are very wrong about something very important that counts as negligence. And I think negligence is pretty much as bad as doing something maliciously when, when you have a duty to not be negligent in that domain. I think that it is, I think it is bad. I think it is less bad than doing it on purpose. Um, but only because yeah, purpose, sure. purpose expresses intent. Um, you know, if I, yeah, but- uh, if I don't know how my parking brake works in my car and I park on a hill and I leave it without the parking brake on and it backs up and hits somebody, or like kill somebody just for argument. I'm responsible for negligence. If I saw the person back there grinned and got out of my car without setting the parking brake, knowing it was going to roll back and kill them. Right. That says something about me that I should probably be in jail longer than the person did it by accident. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so he, the other thing here with the, the captain is he's waiting till they're eight. Um, yeah. you know, I know we've had conversations about when you're mature enough to consent to things and that it varies for different people. And some people mature quite a bit earlier. I think Alexander Wales chose eight because everybody knows that at eight, you are not close to that point yet. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I was wondering if it was even bother worth jokingly bringing up the point. Cause I knew we had agree. Um, yeah. like he didn't choose 11 cause that's how old Harry was granted. Harry right. was 65, but, um, yeah. 
like, you know, Draco was actually 11. Hermione was actually 11. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, like, well, people be like, well, look, no, there's, and plus I was a smart 11 year old, but no, no eight year old knows what eternal damnation is. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, he doesn't know a lot about how, how humans work or he knows exactly how humans work and he's doing it anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he fucked up even before that when he set up the creation of mass orphans who would never have parents and would just grow up in this institution that by itself is fucked up. And why does he bother making children and not just like natal souls? I think whatever demon he made a deal with wanted them to be at least eight years old. I don't know. Because there there was something about, yeah, natal souls ain't going to cut it. So I thought that like at some point we learned that like when those baby factories explode and all those souls go to hell, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't just rain fetuses. It it rains souls that mature up to the level where they're able to be tortured. Oh, that, might, that level might be eight. Uh, possibly, yeah. So I, I do remember that, reading that. Okay, that actually, that answers itself then. It, they probably, uh, the demons want him to, to raise them to this level so they don't have to do it themselves. Yeah, that could be it. Okay, so yeah. I just like how when June stops, when he first sees like the zombie mothers through the, you know, through his crown and everyone looks, looks at him and he just says, zombie mothers. And Captain's like, ah, you have some distance viewing? I... Would have liked to explain ahead of time rather than you see it first and explain afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you saw the the torture the torture pit. <laughs> I know it looks bad. I was going to lead you up to it. I wasn't going to hide it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. <sighs> but the thing is, he doesn't. He goes cartoonishly. Well, he doesn't go cartoonishly evil because this is R rated. Um, mm. He goes full evil, I think. But he does it in a way where I still don't think he believes he's doing anything wrong. Like he might. But I think I think he might, you know, like Voldemort no, would do this right. and he would think it's funny. Yeah. You know, I think you're right that he has deluded himself to the point where he doesn't think it's wrong. But I don't think that matters in the same way that people who burned witches thought that they were doing a good thing because it was giving the witch maximum time to redeem her soul and go to heaven. Uh, and I don't care that they thought they were doing a good thing. And same same thing here. Like there is some level of self-delusion where you should not have that self-delusion and you should be hold morally culpable for deluding yourself that badly totally and he should be morally culpable and and i'm morally judging him um yeah i'm just thinking that uh he still hasn't gone full voldemort because voldemort wasn't pretending to be a on the right side of things he just yeah, said there is yeah. no side you yeah. know um so in that way again he's he's not off the hook at all it just makes him uh interesting in that regard okay it, it yeah. adds some it adds some evil flavor to it. you know yeah. lex luther was probably 90 percent the good guy, you know, absolutely. In um, Metropolitan Man, maybe yeah. eighty-five. Uh, he did orchestrate the, you know, savage death of of children, but uh, for the greater good, that killed many people. Yeah, yeah, yeah and the bombs. <laughs> um, but he he was mostly, you know, trying to do the right thing, and so like he he was much more compelling bad guy than uh, whatever Zod from the the Man of Steel movie, you know. Yes. And I think certainly a much more compelling bad guy than Captain Blue in the Bottle, who just appears to be completely insane. That's true. Lex was of sound mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this guy's gone a little nutter butters. Um, yeah. So too far down the uh, the echo chamber silo. Yeah. Did he? Uh, I mean, it's. I think it's because uh, Professor Quirrell was modeled after Robin Hanson. But <laughs> I wonder where Robin Hanson would draw the line here. Um, like. It's it's it it would be obviously an uncharitable joke to say he'd be on board with this, um, mm. but like especially the um, the labor and stuff. Like 
I, I think it's obvious now. The line is the kids. Um, yes. That's so. I I just for me it was funny because a lot of this sounded like you know especially the the the, the libertarian arguments from uh, you know in favor of freedom of whatever free market decision making right freedom of contract to yeah, yeah that all commit yourself very, to things that you regret yeah I could hear all of that in Quirrell slash Hanson's voice but I can't hear either I can only hear Quirrell defending the kid stuff and even he's doing it with a smirk. So, right. Um, all right. So we got like 5 million kids below the age of eight, approximately. Yes. Because they're all, because he raises be- them. It's, this is insane. All right. Sorry. I just was, uh, it, the, no, you're, I'm, you're right. I, I'm going to, I'm going to just read this quote because he says 5 million below the age of eight millions of pounds of food every day to feed them. You need millions of gallons of water. You need systems capable of carrying away waste. Uh, and then we'll hit the last beat there in a second, but like just the scale of this operation, you know? Yeah. Um, he's got it's, some dozen more underground bases like this. Um, cause he's just, the, he's been chugging these factories at full speed as much as possible this whole time, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I am curious. Uh, I wonder rather, I think there's a non negligible chance that he's full of shit. Um, there are some kids, these might be the only ones, uh, like, because he knows that when June was there last week and he says, yeah, I'm prepared to bite the bullet on you sending all these people to hell. Um, mm. Maybe he's like, okay, I need a, I need a, a bigger bullet. And so he set this up as like a, as a deterrent. Um, I don't think he could set up all this in, in what, eight days or however long they were away. No, but he could lie about the scope of it. Oh, but the thing is yes, the lie could. will be discovered within a few days or weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're going to want to visit the other facilities. And if they're not full of kids, then they'll know something's up. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, the the last so bit here. They they have a problem that Captain is too big to fail. There's no nation on Arab that can absorb this many non-productive people. Which, oh my God, this is absolutely insane. And I kind of like it because this is the sort of challenge you get now when you are physically indestructible. This is a much bigger and better challenge than punching something, and it's fucking right. fascinating. He, he he owned him when he just walked over and grabbed him. You know. Mm-hmm. And Grack can handle all the, the necromancy. So, uh, you know, all right, let's give June a real problem. Um, mm-hmm. He says uh, it was it was an ongoing humanitarian crisis as it stood. But in just a few short hours, maybe as little as minutes, it would be our humanitarian crisis. Um, on the one hand, uh, he said that there's nowhere on air that's capable of absorbing this many non-productive people. I seem to remember hearing about some startup country that's full of frog people that's looking for more po- po- bigger population right I, i'm throwing that uh, most as a joke they'd have to feed them and that's hard but well i was uh, gonna say there's no way they could take five million i don't think they could even fit five million people on the island if they made them all stand touching <laughs> i think you're probably right <laughs> so yeah i mean maybe with star magic they can make the you know the island bigger without making mm, it bigger yeah, yeah um but yeah obviously that's that's gonna be a problem but the other thinking that i was thinking about was like and so you tell me if I'm, I probably am. Uh, all right, let me just get my idea out I'm, rather than circle it, circle it. Uh, I don't know if the humanitarian crisis is really June's problem. Like they, they should point some bureaucrats at it. Like, all right, my, my coloring is probably, or my thinking is probably colored by my enjoyment of superhero movies. But the Avengers job was to reverse the harm Thanos did, not travel the universe and make sure every inhabited planet coped with the arrival of half their population. Right? Right. Like, they're like, no, there will be fallout and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a mess, but it's worth it because we need to undo this evil. Sure. Like, I mean, okay. Yeah. You could say that June could just be like, okay, 
you're dead. I've killed you. My job and- is to kill you. I'll point the beer. I'll point. I'll point the bean counters at you, and they'll save the kids. Right. My job here is done. Exactly. <laughs> and then you know, five million children starve to death. Uh, that's that's a thing he could do, but I don't think that's a thing heroes do. Like at at some point, if if he's truly being a hero, he's. I think he would have to think about this sort of thing. And I, he did, and he decided maybe killing the captain right now isn't the best decision because then five million children would starve to death. Like, if you kill the thing feeding five million children, maybe you are slightly culpable in them not getting fed, right? Yeah, it sucks because on the one hand, you want to think like, no, the hero just needs to run in there and hit the thing, right? <laughs> and then it, the other people can figure out like, okay, how do we clean up this mess? Um, you know, sure, Tony... Uh, put some money towards hiring groups to clean up New York after, uh, you know, the Battle of New York, right? Mm. But he wasn't probably, presumably, out there on the ground moving rubble. Um, he's like, no, I did my job. I stopped the aliens. I, I stopped the nuke. Um, right. But, but like, like, what if Thanos it, was? What, what if Thanos was like feeding everybody instead of wiping out half the population? <laughs> he like is creating food with a snap of his fingers every day so people can eat, and they rush over there to kill him. And sure, Thanos was evil and murdered a bunch of people, and that was great. But now you just killed the thing that gives half the galaxy food. Yeah, no, it's maybe uh, it, it gets to be a, a conundrum because, like I said, it'd be nice if you could just yeah, no, the the, the hero's job is run in and be the only one strong enough to hit the problem. And then again, all the bobs and bean counters and people they can they can move the rubble and and uh, feed the people and all that. But no, at some point, being a hero is actually being responsible for what you do. <laughs> And I, I think probably this is at the beginning of, the, of hero ship is being responsible. Yeah. Um, I think this is at least part of the reason why we just don't go in and assassinate heads of state of states that we don't like, because uh, sometimes the fallout can be an entire country failing and people starving to death. Yeah. And, you know, probably just not a good game theoretic like strategy yeah, to put up yeah. on the world stage. But um, that too. But yeah, no, totally. You know, sometimes bad is better than worse. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, this is a this is this is a pickle. I'm trying to think. God, you know what would be nice, and it doesn't seem possible because they're excluded to two different areas. Sure, it'd be nice if you could move the Doruses in. <laughs> Wait, are you saying so that they could duplicate themselves and kill themselves to feed the children? Oh, I didn't think of that part. So the food's coming from somewhere, right? I think a large part of it is coming from the trade with the Hells. Where are they growing crops? I don't know. I, don't, I know. don't know how exactly this works, but stuff is being teleported in, and he said he's paying for a lot of it with souls. I think you could probably pay, like, sell souls to other parts of the world and buy food that way, right? Because everyone wants everyone wants energy. Everyone wants oil. That's true. Uh, but maybe maybe they are growing crops in hell. What do I know? Maybe some people really hate farming, and that's the devil's way of punishing some people is by making them farm. Uh, yeah. I uh, I don't know. Um, I, but what I was thinking was it would be nice because then you've got whatever. Two doors is per kid, and they could help keep them. In, they could help a lot, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they wouldn't even need. They wouldn't even need to duplicate, but they're excluded over there, and Captain's over here. So, man, this sucks. It does. I guess you could ship all the kids over to the Dorses, but again, the whole feeding them is going to be an issue, hmm. unless you're okay with you know the cannibalism thing continuing. I mean, the cannibalism thing might be the least worst option. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing, too, is that if he is buying food from somewhere on Arab, um, you just go strong arm those people and say, OK, look, we're, we're done selling you souls for food. We're going to uh, we're going to take the food with our muscles and, 
<laughs> then yes, I, you guys I will be hungry over here because you guys won't have oil or whatever, but <laughs> we'll solve that problem with our muscles in a minute. But <laughs> first we're feeding these kids. <laughs> Isn't that basically just conquest and enslavement of a different nation to feed your children? Yeah, but this is this is a nation that's been uh benefiting off of the souls of children for X number of generations or something, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so probably got it coming. Yeah. I mean, the, the citizens there don't have anything coming. They they probably don't even know what's going on. But, you know, they probably think their food is going to a nice cause. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but they're going to be enslaved anyway. Oh, man. Yeah, this is a... I'm really curious how this is going to shake out. Because this is a problem big enough that either we spend a long time fixing it, or it's just like, you know what? Fuck it. We... We hand the problem off and we just hope that it goes okay. Maybe we check in. We put five amaryllises on it, which is like a thousand regular people. Um, and they can they can help, you know, count all the beans and make sure everything is on the up and up. Yeah. But I'm curious how it'll shake out. Well, I got, I guess, kind of a final thought on this thing. This The whole Captain arc was very hard for me to get entirely. It, it seemed like it rested on the idea that humans can't meaningfully consent to labor and that's why capitalism is bad. And it just, I think it couldn't quite make that point because Alexander Wales is smarter than that, which is why he had to finally resort to, you know, creating orphans and brainwashing them and murdering them at eight to send their souls to hell is bad because yeah, that is. But like at that point, it felt almost like a Captain Planet kind of villain that just destroys forests because they love destroying forests. And I don't know. Like, I, I think Alexander Wales gave it his best shot, but it still feels like such a strange alien thesis that doesn't quite jive with reality that that this is how it had to end up in order to be coherent and plausible as a bad thing, right? Um, I mean, the thing is, Alexander could have stopped before the reveal of, mm-hmm. you know, he's actually killing children, right? But then a lot of people would have been like, I think this EZ isn't all that bad if what he's saying is true. Right. So you're saying that, you know, but if he wanted to make this uh, an analogy against whatever um, consent to labor and stuff, he could have actually done that. The fact that he went full uh, child murder with it suggests that he had that Alexander had other goals in making Captain Blue in the bottle. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, so I'm probably reading it the wrong way. Well, no, I think, I mean, I, I don't, I, I never like the, um, you know, this, this was like, the only main point of contention with me and Brian, like I was fine with him having different takes on how, like how cool Harry was or something. Mm-hmm. I was like, no man, you read you like, that's, that's fine. The parts where I didn't like is where he'd be like, I feel like, you know, Yudkowsky wants us to, to think this is okay. I'm like, I feel like Yudkowsky wrote a story for you to interpret however you want, mm-hmm. like, but not for you to interpret by saying he wants us to think this. Therefore he thinks it's okay. Um, right. You know, read the story. That's why I wanted to read a metropolitan man afterwards, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if there's a wrong way to read this because we're I think we're tied in knots. I think that's exactly where he, where where he I think Alexander has has us exactly where he wants us. Mm. Um, the I had one last thing on the uh, mm, I can't think of it. So I will I guess yeah I I don't I don't quite know what the captain's point here was. You know it could just be some problems are insurmountable or are very difficult or are going to come at very severe costs and can't be successfully resolved to everyone's satisfaction mm-hmm. which is to say like maybe the solution here is to kill 90 percent of these kids Ooh, damn. like and wouldn't that be the shittiest um yeah. but it's only a little better than killing all of them uh you know it's, you don't have to be that fucked up to be in captain blue in the bottles camp like if you're just a, a parfait style repugnant conclusion bullet biter um 
you're like, look, more people is better. Uh, and, you know, existence is better than non-existence. And look, I'm making lots of people. This mm-hmm. is great. You know, mm-hmm. sure. None of them are living very happy lives, but they're not uh, maximally, they're not, they're not 100% all suffering because they wanted this quote unquote. Uh, there is a version of this where like things actually are as hard as can be. It's still so edging on the least convenient possible world. I think the hell thing just ruins that all because then they are maximally suffering. Some hells are better than others. And they're, uh, you know, in theory, aware of that when they decide. And maybe not every kid decides. I, I don't know. It, it sounds like because they're brainwashed, they probably do all decide, you know, to do what the captain wants, which is to go to hell. But um mm. They, as far as I know, there's no picking on, oh, wait, no, there is. He did uh, say there was some small percentage that decided not to, uh, not to kill themselves, I guess, and continue to have lives in the necrolabum, you see. Right. So there's some of those, but also he says something about how there is a way to determine where the soul goes. That's right. He has some kind of thing that can inject the soul directly into, into a specified hell at a specified location, right? That's how he, he delivered it to the yeah. demons. So unless he's delivering them all to hell one, um, then he's doing something wrong, right? Uh, presumably this, this super devil that he's doing this business with doesn't live in hell one. He lives in hell, you know, 8,999. The place know? where we started the book at, um, like in chapter one was considered worse than what a, a thousand of the hells or something. Yeah. There was some rough estimate like that where like the first chunk of hells were only about as bad as comfort. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know if that means that you're constantly running in terror from zombies or if it just means that, like, yeah, it's a little dreary and, you know, there aren't video games. Um, right. Like, because, I mean, comfort, as bad as it was, I guess June wasn't in literal pain all the time. It was more like, yeah, running in terror and it was a shitty existence. Yeah. So maybe it's not, maybe it could still be considered an existence worth having for the people who really bite the bullet and are willing to say, we should have the maximum amount of lives living that uh, are still net utility of at least one on the suffering pleasure scale. Yeah, that's, you know, again, an awesomely repugnant conclusion. I just had a thought that actually bolsters my, the captain is making up some of these numbers mm. uh, estimate. When we had the Val POV where it's, she's, she's giving an analysis from like the demon's point of view. Mm-hmm. They talked about how influxes of souls weren't common. Because people were so frequently bottled that like it took a good natural disaster for them to get any new people. Yeah. If they were if if Blue in the Bottles got five million kids under the age of eight, I don't know how long he's been doing this for. Um, but it would seem like he's putting in a million kids a year. You know? Yeah. So I, I think either Val was giving an account from like the general hell spawn, mm-hmm. um, or he's lying. Well, it sounds like there's one specific demon or maybe one cartel of demons that he's doing business with. So, Which are the luckiest goddamn demons in hell. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. Maybe the chapter names will give us the uh, the clues for where this is going next. Uh, we will find out what is going on in the next four chapters, which are 209 through 212. Uh, I don't have it up right now, though, because I'm I a do. goober. You- okay. 209, Orison. 210, Push and Pull. 211, Gilding the Lily, but I think gilding is not spelled like gilding as in gold gilding. It's G-I-L, whatever. 212 spilled ink. Maybe that's ink magic. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I have no idea. This is fun. Yes. This is a great, uh, you know, full of moral quandaries and, and challenges uh, set of readings. Even the Doris stuff, too. Um, yeah. This is, this is you know, thought-provoking and fun. Remember back when it was black and white uh, morality about killing zombies? Excuse me. I do remember undead. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ah, the good old days. Um, simpler times, but 
No, this is this is a lot of fun. You know, it's not morally unambiguous supporting Alexander Wales and or us um, yeah. financially for the work that we do, especially Alexander. Go buy his book if you haven't yet. Uh, if you haven't yet and you want to, but you can't just because of money, DM me on Discord. I'll buy it for you. Literally, no one's taking me up on that yet, so I don't mind making that a blanket offer to everybody. If I get inundated and I find myself going broke, I will let you know. But everyone should buy a copy of his book, at least one. If you have dollars left over afterwards, you can throw some money towards our Patreon as well, 15% of which goes to Alexander. Heck yeah. Uh, don't make us uh, slaves. Wash your moral conscience by throwing money at us. That's right. It's, we're, we're only consenting to this for, for money. It's hard to... Uh, but no. but it's impossible to consent to it for money because... Oh, uh, yeah. It becomes a little less morally bad if we're getting paid for it. Now, that there is, we go. That is okay. true. Whether or not you think you can consent to labor, right? <laughs> you know what? G- give us money or don't. It's up to you. We will not think less of you. Oh, yeah. Not, uh, now, now I'm just talking generally from that point of, from earlier, though. Who, oh, who, oh, okay. Whoever was talking about consenting to labor. One thing, one thing's for sure. Not consenting to labor or consenting to labor without pay, quote unquote, consenting is worse than consenting for to labor with pay. I don't know. I'm consenting to a lot of labor without pay right now because it's for, you know, my future and for the future of someone that I care about deeply. Being Isn't an employee most... is better than being a slave. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that, that, that's where I was going with it. <laughs> that's what you went. Oh, okay, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, Alexander, thank you for making the most morally conundrum, wait, morally complicated game I've ever played. So Nice. This is great. We love this. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to us. We'll be back in a week. See Bye. Ya.